This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who think they have a pretty good idea about how to design a fantasy league. I guess the listeners will decide. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is my co-host and very good friend, dare I say best friend, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Thank you, Elon. You are my best friend too. I, the pres- I just feel the pressure to reciprocate right now. You. But <laughs> but thank you for taking that leap and going first. It's really nice to be here with you, even though you already have me shaking my head. You, the guys who think they've designed the best fantasy hockey league in the world, Elon, two hundred and fifty players annually can't be wrong. Like a couple, like I I don't think there's any debate. Nobody has told me that there is a better league out there. So there just must not be one. Like a couple is. The best and I think biggest ongoing fantasy hockey league. And we can't wait to spend the next like four hours talking about it. You know, Brian, uh, I, we should tell the listeners one time Brian actually messaged me being like, I want to message Guinness World Records and submit that we have the long or the biggest fantasy hockey league I did. in the world. I yeah. actually did it. And it, I, I was going to give you the certificate. Except um, they, for, like, quickly declined. It was it was not quick, and it cost me $5. So <laughs> I sent you the email and know that it was, a, it, was a, it was a cheap birthday gift to at least show you that I tried. I Guinness, appreciate that. If you're listening, let's get in touch. I'm let's sure get. we can work this out. All right, so let's get, give the summary of what we're talking about here. We run a league every year with the listeners, patrons of Keeping Carlson, called the Keeping Carlson Ultra Patron Fantasy League. We've been doing it for five years now. We're going in to year number six. And in this episode, we're going to talk about league design in general, talk about all the decisions we made in designing the rules for the Cacupful, which is the acronym for the Keeping Carlson Ultra Patron Fantasy League. So from now on, we're just going to call it the Cacupful. And yeah, we're going to have some debates along the way. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully this will be a good primer for anyone thinking of starting their own fantasy league. We've got a special guest joining us to start the show. Uh, One thing that people may not realize, or maybe they do if they've listened for a while, the Cupful is, like Brian said, 250 people. We're not all playing in one league. That would be insane. The rosters would be very, very deep. No, it's uh, multiple divisions broken up into multiple tiers. And how it works, you start at the bottom tier when you join, and then every year that you win, you're moving up slowly but surely. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And eventually, there's only one division in tier one, and there's only one person who wins tier one 
every year. And with us on the line is the reigning Tier 1 Ultimate Champion, Max Fredrickson, who ran the Team Dirty Mac all the way to the President's Trophy, and then the season got canceled, so that was it, and he ended up being the winner. Welcome to the show, Max! Hey guys, how's it going? It's going so good. And Max, you're coming, like you're talking to us from an island, right? Like this is what like a cup full winner life is. You're on your own private island, super posh, like all this fame and fortune that's come from winning the cup full. Yeah, I'm here on Galliano Island just off of, uh, in the Gulf Islands off Vancouver Island from Victoria though. So just here with my family for the weekend. Sounds like, so why are you wearing Jets gear? You're not a Canucks fan? I am a Jets fan. All Huge. right. Think that uh, Connor Hellebuck could have another Vesna winning year next year? Or are you concerned? I sure hope so. I mean, they got to get some defense in front of him, though. <laughs> yeah, he might need to. Okay, so Max is here, and we just thought to start the show, we'll get Max to give us some lessons and some advice as an Ultimate Champion. We have a former Ultimate Champion on the call here, Brian Calm, who uh, was the couple Ultimate Champion a couple of years ago. And, and some don't other you gu- forget it. <laughs> then some other guy won it, and then this year it is Max, and maybe uh, next year it'll be me. But for now, yeah, Max is the expert. Uh, before we start talking to Max, let me quickly mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the number one fantasy hockey website in the frickin' world. Now is a great time over Dauber Hockey, because Brian, today, November 8th, is the start of Bubble Key. Keeper Week, where every single day of the week, uh, Ian Gooding and the crew over at Dauber Hockey are writing really interesting articles about different players who you're trying to decide, oh, is this person worth keeping? Are they not? Uh, Today's article, I see Eric Stahl, Tanner Pearson, Patrick Hornfist, and Tyson Jost are discussed. So uh, definitely check that out and all the other goodness articles all the time, DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, let's get to our start of the show, which is we're going to chat with Max. We want to ask him a couple things, and then we're going to have a big announcement. Uh, but Max, why don't you just tell us about your cupful journey? Like, how long ago did you start? And like, how did you make it up to tier one? Well, I believe so we're going to what, year six. And uh, I started one year after. So I wasn't in the first year, but I started second year. So I guess that's four, four seasons now. Uh, I won my first year, and then I finished second, I think the second year. And then I actually finished no, finished third that second year, but I got promoted uh, due to some people dropping out. So I got a little lucky that year. And then I uh, continued to just kind of climb the ladder a bit and uh, yeah, made it all the way up and had a pretty solid season last year and a little bit of luck went my way. And here we are. You make it sound so easy, Max, but we know we know the journey to the top is grueling and to, to not just make it to the top, but win. Cause you know, as a past champion, I know, I know what it takes. So like you just said, you know, some, some lucky things went your way. Take some credit for what you did, but also tell us what exactly do you think was the key for you last season? Like what went well for you that you needed to go well? Um, well, Sveshnikov was really good. That helped a lot. And uh, picking up Matthews too. That's some key, some key acquisitions. And uh, I think last year, my rankings, I was really unsure on a lot of defensemen. So uh, in the auction draft last year, I tried to just make sure I had a, a decent base of defensemen um, with some low floors to build off of. And I think that really paid off through the whole year where some guys were really scrambling scrambling to find some defensemen and I didn't really ever have to worry about it. They weren't great, but I was fine. So didn't have to worry. That was my big thing last year for sure. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, I just remember being in your division with you, and I thought my team was okay, but I just I had I couldn't catch up to you. Like anytime I won a week, you were also winning a week, and you ran away with that president's trophy. So, what advice do you have? We have some new people who are going to be joining Cupful this year who haven't played before. We're going to be trying to convince more new people to do it in this episode. Uh, do you have any advice for them on how to be successful in this league? Yeah, I think especially for the new people if they haven't played before. Um, it's super competitive. Like everybody's here. They're a lot like paying to play and be a part of the group and um, everyone's super interested and invested. So you can't really take anybody for granted. Um, I think everybody knows their stuff. So, um, you know, that's step one. Uh, And then step two, uh, I think we're doing some, is it a new format this year with slow drafts? Oh yes. We'll talk about that on the show. Yeah. We're going to be doing slow drafts instead of scheduled drafts to try to accommodate more people. Right. So for the the slow draft, um, I definitely have a bit of a different strategy with slow drafts. Tell us more. So advice for that. Um, I've actually, uh, I've won the last two kind of patron slow drafts we've done too. Oh, nice. In my bread basket. So I'm pretty good at that. And um, the, the my best advice for that would definitely be like, don't overthink your picks because you have all this extra time. I think a lot of people oh. tend to like, oh, maybe I should try and slide this guy in here. Like, don't go too far off your board. That was, it's always been my big thing. And then with that extra time, I've really just tried to uh, look ahead to who's picking after me and before me. Um, So I could kind of see like, oh, this guy's probably going to take a left wing. Like maybe this is a good time to slide in my top rank left wing. So instead of really debating over which player to take more, just what position I should be looking at. I like that a lot. So because in a slow draft, and we're going to, like Elon said, we'll talk about more about what a slow draft is and what it means and why we're doing it for the Cupful this year. But I've been in those slow drafts with you, Max, and, and you're right. Like you can just get so in your head about whether you're making the right choice. Yeah. And I love your your advice, which, by the way, is very generous for you to share with all your competitors uh, that you <laughs> use that. <laughs> yeah, well he's use... not going to be slow drafting right he's in tier one tier one's still going to be an auction draft oh yeah. true true so that's why he can uh but you know use that time to start to evaluate other people's moves rather than your own so you can figure out how to best draft for need i love that um so max thank you for sharing uh your your cupful story with us uh, giving our listeners some advice about how they too can be a cupful ultimate champion like you and i And this year, um, we're actually starting a new tradition where as the last year's winner, you are the one who gets to officially announce that Cupful registration is open and then you're going to ring a bell. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, so as uh, you're going to be the inaugural Cupful bell ringer, here we go. Max, registration is open. Make it official, please. Well, first, I just say thank you for the honor and for being the first. Um, so, with the power invested in me, I hereby do declare this defending Who the? What is happening? No. That's not. How do people sneak into a zoo? Is that Dave Beckman? What the hell? What's 
going on? Who let him in here? Hey, thank you to my advocate, Bruce Buffer, for the introduction. Hey, 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 cut his mic, cut his mic. But I am someone who needs no introduction. My name is Dave Benton, and I am not only the greatest Kikupful player of all time, but also the true reigning Kikupful champion. So you guys can stop with all the jokes now, but I, as the true Kikupful champion, am here to fulfill my duties of declaring the season's going to be open now and whatever. So where's whoa, whoa, my belt? Hang on. What what makes you the true cook-up? Yes, you won in 2018-19. I won in 17-18. You, we're, we're old news, man. I, I'm, did Brian say something? I can't hear him all the way down there in tier three. I mean, this is all about <laughs> what you've done for me lately. And lately, I'm the one who's still the longest tenured Kikupful player. This will be my fourth year in a row. But truly, no one has yet to come and steal the title for me. Last season was moot after the playoffs started. Man, Dave, what right do you have to interrupt our ceremony? I feel like Max is the true reigning champion. Sure, he didn't play through a full playoffs. Not his fault. But yeah, Max is the one who's officially going to ring the bell. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter what either of you say. Because I'm in tier one. One, and next year, it's going to be me ringing this bell. So uh, unfortunately, I'll have to get through you two, which will be tough competition, but I'm, I'm not too worried. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, and it's, it's a great honor, Max. You're going to be a footnote in history of the greatest couple player ever. Yeah, you won the President's Trophy. That's incredible stuff. Well done. But uh, yeah, well, I'm willing, I'm willing to take the asterisks on this year, not being able to finish out the finals. But uh, we have one more season to really come back at this and uh you know, we'll, I'll see you here next year. Oh, I look forward to beating you. I'm going to beat Elon. I mean, yeah, Brian at least won a championship. I mean, so he, he may be a has-been, but Elon, you're a never-was, okay? And so I'm <laughs> I knew be- when to step aside, Dave. Hey, I, I told my guys to take off the quarterfinals. I knew the Coco was coming. I didn't want any of them to catch the COVID, and so... I mean, I would have been right there in the semis with them had I not been a truly humble manager and was putting my team's safety first. I have a question. So we, this fun little bit, did anyone actually bring a bell? Does anyone actually have a bell <laughs> no, to ring? No, you're going to play a bell. I have a We're- beer. Okay, let's open the beer. There it is. <laughs> the Kakafo registration is open. Who's going to win tier one? Is it going to be Dave? Is it going to be Max? Is it going to be myself? It'll be one of, well, Brian... No, not Brian. Is it going to be Ben or Lewis? Like, lots of exciting names. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, uh, Max, for coming on the show. Dave, please do not interrupt episodes of Keeping Carlson in the future. But also, people should definitely check out uh, Dave's stream scheme when the season begins. So, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Great. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Dave, good luck next year, buddy. Good luck. Good luck. I'll get you both in 2021-22. Look out. <laughs> What the hell, Brian? That was crazy. But okay, I think that we're back to just the two of us on the call. So now we can move forward with the plan for the show, which is to discuss League Designer. Are you okay right now? I'm still shaking. I don't, I don't expect we'll have any more unannounced interruptions. Uh, I'm not surprised that Dave would try to pull a stunt like that. But, uh, but good on Max for holding his ground. All right, well, now back to the plan for the show, which was to talk about league design and also talk about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which obviously we've been doing a lot here. We want to get you in uh, the 
Basic gist for the couple before we get into all the decisions we made to design this league. Like I said, it's a multi-tier league. You start at the bottom, you work your way up. Generally how it works is you're going to start in like tier five or tier six, depending on how many people sign up. And if you win your division, you jump up two tiers. If you come like second, third, or fourth, you're going to probably jump up one tier. You might also jump up a tier regardless because of different people not coming back. And then once you're in a higher division, if you don't do well, you're going to fall potentially a tier or two to make room for the people climbing up. So you want to just try to do as best as you plan. Actually, a tip for a couple competitors. Let's say you don't make your fantasy playoffs. You still want to try to win that relegation playoffs that Yahoo puts you in because your final rank, if you come 8th versus 10th out of 14, that's going to make a big difference. And another thing to clarify about the structure of the couple is it's it's shaped like a pyramid in how you climb it. So tier number one, there's one division that is the ultimate championship division. And in tier two, there are two divisions running parallel to each other. In tier three, there are three divisions, tier four, four divisions, and so on. So the higher you climb, the fewer spots there are in that tier. And of course, your goal, uh, as Elon said, is to rank as high as possible in your current tier so you can get to the top. Now, in the past, you've had to go, you know, a year at a time, chip away, jump one or two tiers a year on your way to the top tier. But we have this brand new uh, feature this season, the Kakupful, that we're really excited about because it means if you've never played in the Kakupful before, or if you have been, you're like still just working your way up to tier two or below, there's a new way into tier one. Yes, we're calling it the Cupful Fast Track. It was recommended by patron and good friend of the show, John Newhold. And basically how it's going to work is in the Cupful, since it's a points league on Yahoo, at the end of the season, we can see how many points everyone had across all of our divisions. And last year in Marcus's stat attack, which he was sharing, by the, oh, by the way, did you know that our league has a podcast and, and also an awesome spreadsheet that Marcus updates all the time? And so he would rank every single Cupful competitor in like all 18 divisions by total points. And we've decided the person who has the most points out of all the divisions at the end of the regular season they're earning a fast track right to tier one don't pass go nothing no questions asked so you could join next year and you could be in tier one the following year uh i don't know if it's a coincidence that john who made this suggestion is also the person who would have fast track to tier one if uh, this rule was in place last year so john's gonna have to be in tier three this year but uh yeah whoever can have the most points will be jumping to tier one maybe even ahead of john so uh i'm really excited about this and another reason maybe to sign up because it doesn't necessarily have to take you so long to climb to the top. Yeah, if you are good enough to prove that you are the absolute best fantasy hockey player in the Cupful, you just jump straight up to the top and play against the big guns the next season, of course, that makes it that much harder to hold your spot in tier one. As Dr. Dre once said, it's not getting all those riches, it's keeping them once you have them, which is why there's a lot of turnover in tier one. Only the top, Elon? The top six? Yeah, only the top six, unless one of them ends up via, if someone in tier one ends up winning the fast track, then I guess they'll still be seven. But okay, yeah, so by the way, John's here in the chat, and he's saying he's just going to have to repeat and win it again. So that would be pretty phenomenal. Uh, So that's one exciting thing happening. Brian, are you ready now to get into the actual format of this league and also just general decisions that we've made along the way and decisions that maybe we could help other people decide for their leagues? Yeah, so if you've been a Keeping Carlson listener for a while, you know that every season, or we... most seasons, we release this fantasy hockey architecture episode. And if you haven't heard them, just like you can find them in our feed still, and they're still relevant. And they include our whole decision making process for building the Cupful, uh, for building any league, but then it's morphed into the Cupful start to finish. So now this episode here is where we're going to 
just like go through all of summarize all of those episodes, squish them into one and give you where we stand on each league option here. So if you're a commissioner of your own league or you're thinking of starting one or you want to argue with your commissioner about the setup in your league, we're going to give you all the choices we've made in setting up the Cacupful to be the most fun and competitive league because those are two things that you sort of have to balance. What's fun and then what's competitive. There's a balance to walk and we'll describe how we did that. Uh, as we go. Okay, but enough talking about what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about it. Elon, take it away. What is the first key decision that we've made for the kickupful? Okay, yeah, I think that this is like an obvious decision that people have to make in a lot of leagues. And actually, I think this really ties in well to what you were saying, Brian, about deciding if you want your league to be like more competitive versus more fun. Because I think this decision really is going to dictate that. And that's how you want to score your league and decide the winner. So in the kickupful, we do a head to head league, which means that every single week you have a matchup against another competitor in the league and it's your team versus theirs. And it doesn't matter what everyone else in your league did. It's just you versus your competitor. Whoever wins gets the win, whoever loses gets the loss. And then at the end of the season, whoever Whoever has the better regular season record goes into the playoffs, and then you have a playoff of the top ranking teams to determine the ultimate champion. So that's a very common way to play. Another common way to play is to just draft your league and have your teams, and then you just count the points for the whole season, a season-long league, right? Whoever at the end of the season accumulated the most points gets the win, and there's no concept of, like, me versus you. It's just everyone's against everyone competing for the most points, and then that could become even more specific, and you could do this, like, league is called a roto league, where it's also season-long, but you're competing in each category separately and you're seeing where you rank in that category and you get points for how high you are in each category but like the main decision here is like head to head versus season long and to me brian i think this is like the real fun versus fair debate because head to head let's just say it it's not that fair like i could be against you in a couple division where there's 12 other teams and let's say i had the second best week of all of the teams in the division but i happen to be playing against you who had the best week i'm gonna lose even though i would have beaten everybody else all of a sudden i'm falling in the standings even though i'm like one of the best teams in the whole division uh so that could kind of stink uh and yeah so it's not that fair but I will say uh, the counter-argument is that it's a lot of fun. I love head-to-head because you get to have that rivalry against the person you're playing. Also, the fancy playoffs, like, come on. What what gives you more adrenaline than being in a playoff matchup, a do-or-die, in a season-long league? You might know by February, or I guess this season, maybe it'll be more like March because, you know, you know the season's only starting in January. But you know what I mean? Like, you might already know two months before the end who's probably going to win, and everyone else is like, okay, I guess I didn't win this year, and, that, and that's kind of it. So I think, to me, that's a big decision about fun versus fair. And in the couple, we decided to go with fun we decided to go with head-to-head even though it's not the most fair yeah another great thing about head-to-head is like the entry point to compete again can be anywhere in the season like if you do fall off for two or three weeks um you just need to focus on winning the next one that you're in sure maybe uh your team could use some work uh to try and climb back in and be a competitive team in a given week but you get to start with that clear slate every week, which is one reason why uh, head-to-head works as being like a fun and engaging way to do things. Also, it lets you really focus in, like Elon, you mentioned the rivalry aspect. It also lets you focus in on your opponent's team and getting to know who their players are. It gives you a whole new set of specific players to watch when you're watching games and checking box scores, which is fun. And also to try and predict and outmanage one specific manager. You know, like teams watch tape on one another. You try and watch tape on <laughs> your fantasy competition uh, instead of focusing on all like 11 or 13 other owners at once. You just focus on this one and hopefully have a have a really good time doing it. 
Yeah, or have a terrible time when your opponent has Mika Zibanejad and he scores four goals. Oh, and you're my like, God. oh I hope my opponent's not the one. Oh, gosh darn it. Yeah, yeah. so that's it's a blast. That's how it feels a lot, right? Especially in a head-to-head league when you – and that where that's where it comes up that, oh, man, if I was against anyone else, I would have been fine, uh, which yeah. is why I, I advocate, like – the next step from head-to-head that I would love to do, it's just not a feature offered on any fantasy platform right now, is this matrix setup that you might have heard me talk about on the show before, where essentially every week is a head-to-head competition against everyone. So everybody whose score you beat, you get a point from. Uh, everybody whose score you don't beat, uh, you take a loss from. And uh, that's just a way to... like It takes out sort of the direct rivalry, but there's still going to be managers who are like just above and below you in the standings that you're really focusing in on. But that also lets you take full credit for how well your team did. So let's say you finish uh, in a normal head-to-head setup. You have the second highest point total in your division, but you happen to play the team that had the first highest point total. In this matrix setup, uh, you wouldn't just get a loss. You would still get credit for all the teams below you that you beat. There's also a setup for this where like you choose the average or median points scored Uh, And you have like a matchup against that total every week. So every week is two matchups. The first is against your direct opponent. And the second matchup is against the division average for the week. So that way, again, you can still take credit for being awesome, even if you just happen to run into the hottest team of the week. Yeah, I think that both of those ways are pretty cool. We have had patients that have told us they play versus the median. I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say they've played this Matrix format, but theoretically, it shouldn't be too hard to do, right? Like, it's not offered on Yahoo, but you can keep track on a separate spreadsheet and just every Sunday, you can still like see who beat who. And yeah, that's a nice way where you could still keep the excitement of fantasy playoffs, and you can still keep the excitement of like Sunday. Like, I didn't mention, actually, one big pro of head-to-head is like, I love how every Sunday and sometimes Saturday, if it's a really busy schedule, like, you're, it's so exciting because it's like it's going to come down to that last goal while in like a season long league maybe like the last day of the season might be very exciting but before that it's just sort of like you know you're cheering for your players but you don't have that like real do or die feeling so yeah if any uh software was to offer like the matrix or the median option of adding more matchups in a head-to-head league each week uh, i would definitely consider trying that for a couple but for now we're just doing regular head-to-head uh but yeah if you're playing for like a lot of money and if it's like a very serious league then i would not recommend head-to-head i would recommend doing like a season-long like roto league or something because that is the most fair way to determine who's like the most deserving winner yeah to be clear the format that we both endorse for the most serious competitive league is roto the the pitfall with roto though is you can fall out of it so quickly and it's really hard to climb out of that so in any roto league i've been in uh, it feels like the bottom two-thirds of the league are not even bothering to pay attention uh, by, say, the second or third month of the season. It's really hard to keep all managers engaged, and all managers really need to be engaged for a Roto format because uh, you really do get points based on how you compare and stack up to every other manager in the league. So if seven of them aren't paying attention, uh, that's, that's bad. I'll be honest, Brian, I think that's like still better than having a manager not engage in a head-to-head league, right? Like at least in a Roto League, if like seven people stop paying attention, so fine, everyone gets an equal advantage of ranking above those seven people. In head-to-head, it actually really stinks when you have inactive managers because you could just have bad luck where like one team happened to play that inactive manager like before they became inactive and had a competitive matchup. Then later on in the season, other people got the advantage of playing that manager that stopped playing. So inactive managers is like annoying in all situations. I actually think uh, that's another point in favor of Roto 
show is it better handles people not playing because whatever they'll just stop accumulating points who cares but it's not just about whether the inactive managers are are scoring points it's about what they're doing with their rosters like you want the most the highest number of managers engaged oh, the of course season to simulate like the the proper player pool of half your half your leagues checked out the the battles for free agents <laughs> and trades are just not there but but to to put a cap on all this because I can tell you want to move on but we also and we'll get to this later in like a couple we pay really close attention to inactive managers like this is a hallmark of our league we don't let it happen uh, as best we can we do everything in our power to spot and then fix any inactive teams and we'll we'll get to that towards let's let's just later. get to it now it's okay Brian. Okay. we could we could jump around what this do we do for flexible. inactive managers elon first of all what do we mean by an inactive manager so i think these are the two things that should be considered the minimum that you expect from a manager in your league and i'd say like if a manager only does these two things i think it's fine like if that's all they want to do that's fine but i think a they should be setting their lineup every day and obviously it gets more complicated if you have like a maximum number of games per roster spot then you, they might not be setting their lineup for specific reasons but assuming it's a league where you know you just want to play your players because you're going to get more points then yeah they need to be playing their players every day and it's if, if someone has like players on the bench when they had an open roster spot on a busy day that's like an inactive manager that's unacceptable in my opinion and number two is if they have an injury they should be putting their injured player in the injured reserve and then they should be picking up a replacement out of free agency. So basically they're filling their lineup as best they could uh, every day. Like they don't have these like misses of just empty spots that could be filled. I feel like that's what you need. Like if they don't want to trade, if they don't want to like be active in free agency, like that's their decision. But I think that those are the two minimum things. Yeah, like a couple, that's what we're looking for. And like Brian said, we've tried to like find these inactive managers and i want to by the way point out if anyone signs up for the cupful this year and then let's say you realize a couple months in man i maybe shouldn't have signed up for like 10 leagues this year or like drop uh, the other nine well yeah that's my first that's my first suggestion but like if you decide that you've lost interest and you don't feel like managing your team anymore please just let us know and we'll find a replacement. Like, I think it's like just common courtesy as opposed to just stopping to manage your team. Then I have to sort of notice, oh, I think this team's inactive. Then I email. Then I like okay. wait a few days because I don't right. want to be Elon, rude. Elon, I, like, I know this is a pet peeve of yours. Well, no, I'm shows, giving it, I'm giving know, general it sh- league advice. It shows how much attention and care like you and we pay to, to whether managers are inactive or not. But yes, as, as a commissioner, everybody for Elon's sake, please... Please tell your friendly neighborhood commissioner uh, when you are going inactive, even if it's like for a month, like you just need a month, take some time. The communication is key. Yeah. And I mean, this is not only for the cupful, right? Like I think in anyone running your own league, try to stress that to the people in your league. Like tell them it's cool. Like, you know, be the good cop. Say it's fine if you don't want to play anymore. Just let me know so we can find a replacement. And uh, in the cupful, actually one new thing we're doing this year, Brian and I uh, in the previous years have just tried our best to look through every division and kind of also depend on people to sort of tattle if they notice someone in their division that's not being active. But that's not that great <laughs> just because if someone's playing against someone inactive, it's kind of not in their interest to let us know because then like I'll go and start setting that person's roster or something maybe they would like to have the free win uh so this year we're actually going to be asking for volunteer like co-commissioners to help spot check things for us and so that's in the registration form it's optional like if you want to sign up to volunteer to be a co-commissioner then that's the main thing we're going to ask it's just you know people that are paying attention looking for an active manager yeah that's that's a big part of it that might be actually one of the biggest parts of fantasy is just keeping your league engaged and we're lucky with the couple that usually like a, by a couple months into the season we have a bit of a wait list going of people that missed being able to join but still want to play and so yeah it's great we just all right you don't want to play anymore great we'll just pop someone else to take over your team yeah <laughs> I, 
What's so funny? <laughs> no, no, it just makes everyone sound so disposable. But no, it's it's a it's a courtesy that we offer anybody who needs to step out, and also to all the managers who are active. Uh, you know, you want you want the free agent wire active. You want things moving. You want people responding to trade requ- requests. But as Elon said, you know, you just need to be doing the essentials, managing your IR and setting your lineup daily. That is what anybody in any league should be doing, and that's like sort of the baseline we set for the cupful. All right, so let's talk next about the draft. That's a big part of fantasy. You gotta, you gotta have a team to to get things going, and then you have all the excitement of free agency and trades, and we'll get to all of that. But first, you have the draft. And Brian, I'm going to be honest. Like I'm going to say it. There's two main types of drafts: a snake draft and an auction draft. So a snake draft is where you take turns picking. It's called snake because often the like the most fair way to do it is sort of if there's 14 people, then the first round is one to 14, and the second round's 14 back to one. So those people at the end get two picks at the end of and start of each round. Uh, so then you just each take turns picking. And once someone's taken, obviously no one else could take him. That's a snake draft. We all we all know that. And then there's a, a fancier. I, I don't even want to say fancier, but like sort it's of a more exo- an exotic, a, a more exotic type of draft. I guess more advanced leagues tem- tend to use. Like if you're just starting a league with your office, you generally won't do an auction draft. But yeah, the auction is like uh, people take turns nominating a player, and then once the player is nominated, then everyone could bid. There's everyone has a budget, you know, two hundred sixty dollars, let's say, and then you're like bidding, and whoever has the highest bid gets the player, and you keep going until every single team is filled and obviously you can't bid higher than your budget and they're both in my opinion up to you brian if you want to have this debate i personally don't really want to have the debate of which one is better okay great i'd say they're both fun they both have their pros and cons some people claim that auction draft is like the only real way to play and if you do snake drafts then who says uh, that you're i've seen it on twitter nobody says that okay good so maybe i'm just making a straw man here i think they're both good and i think they both have pros and cons and uh, i think it's up to you to decide and discuss with your league mates uh, what you want to do yeah, I'm glad we finally have a truce on, like, you're Team Snake and I'm Team Auction, but we do recognize that there there are pros and cons. Because the thing about Auction that I like is that anybody can have first overall pick, right? If you're in a Snake draft, there's more or less a script for the first, I don't know, say, round for sure, then maybe a couple more after that for the general order players go in. So your draft position automatically determines what the core of your team looks like. That's why I prefer auction where you can just bid on guys as you wish. Uh, Elon, you have your hand up. Well, I, I just feel I was like... going to give a, a pro for Snake also well, no, and a con I want to make my I want to make my pro now. Since okay. since you brought up one and I'm not going to argue with it. So then I get to say one and you're not allowed to this argue is, with it. This is the most tense truce that's ever been made. <laughs> I'll just say like yes what Brian said is true that everyone has the same opportunity to get every player. I would say a pro of Snake over Auction is you actually get to pick the if you have two players that you can't you know that you're like want one or the other you get to actually decide which one you want because when your pick comes and there's like two defensemen on my radar I'll pick the one that I want because it's my pick I could take with an auction draft I feel like there's this one really that this is the main thing that kind of makes it hard for me and obviously it's part of the strategy but it's like if let's say there's uh, two defensemen that I want left in the draft one of them is up for bid and the bid is at like $12 and I have $20 left it's like should I bid 13 or should I wait and hope that the other guy is going to be available for cheaper and there's no real way to know and if I don't bid and then the other guy goes for more expensive than I can afford all of a sudden I got neither while in a snake draft at least you could just get to rank your players by how good you think they are and then you you pick the one you think is best which is I guess but it, again it's up to your taste right I enjoy I think my favorite part of fantasy is to like rank players and like kind of decide which player I think will be better and then take that player auction drafts have this whole understanding of the market and all of that which is for sure a lot of fun 
No question. Right. There's this game within a game for an auction draft where the, like the market's being set and you're adapting to it and, and you don't and actually the example you I can give a, a concrete example of, of the pitfall you just mentioned about not knowing if there are two defensemen left. We're doing this slow auction experiment with Steve Laidlaw. It just ended uh, and in it I knew there were two de- I was I I had a budget. I had saved thirty dollars for a top end defenseman and Darlene and Tyson Barry were the two guys the only two guys remaining that I would have considered spending it on. So Darlene goes up and I'm like, okay, if I don't if I don't go big on Darlene and then I miss Barry later, I'll be mad at not going at myself for not going big on Darlene. So I put thirty dollars down on Darlene and then like several rounds later Barry finally gets nominated and he goes for ten. And I would have much rather had Barry at 10 than Darlene at 30. And that's that's a bummer. And Elon, that would really bum you out. I get it. I get it. There's that whole game within a game in an auction draft that you feel isn't totally connected to fantasy. It's not part of the essence for you. No, no. But I should say a counterpoint, which John brought up, which is true, is like in a snake draft, you there's no chance you're going to get Barry and Darlene because if they're the top two defensemen, you have one pick and then you're waiting a while, probably you'll pick one, someone else will take the other. Theoretically, in an auction draft, you could get both. If you're yeah. willing to spend the budget, you could have Barry and Darlene if you have enough left. So yeah, definitely. Again, like we don't need to have a debate. This We're not even debating. We're just discussing. And there's pros <laughs> no, and cons. We're for yeah, it's a very peaceful conversation. So in the cupful tier one auction drafts every year, uh, that's how we sort of up the up the competition level and intensity of the tier one draft. But this year, every other tier is by default going to be doing a slow snake draft, which uh, is amazing. We've discovered these over the last couple of years, Elon. We've run a bunch of fun ones with our patrons. As Max mentioned off the top of the show, we run a bunch through the summer uh, and Max seems to come out on top somehow of several of them. But Ryan, let's back up don't for a bury minute. The le- you know the main exciting thing that happened this summer related to slow drafts yes. was the Keeping Carlson <laughs> playoff pool where we slow drafted every single round of the playoffs and yeah. yours truly won, so stop giving Max oh. credit. That was me. I'm the okay. expert of slow drafts. Okay, but what we need to do is zoom out for a second and explain what, what the heck is a slow snake draft. Yeah, I'd be happy to explain. It's basically the same as a regular draft, right? You know, we're going to have the draft order. Everyone's going to take turns picking. The only difference is instead of scheduling, we're going to do this draft Sunday at 1 p.m., be there or you're auto-drafting. Uh, it's just like the draft could go on for like a couple weeks. And this is a service not offered by Yahoo, unfortunately. It's actually offered by Fantrax. So what we're planning to do for a couple is to draft on Fantrax and then we'll move the teams over to Yahoo because that's what we want to use for the actual league. Uh, but forgetting about all that, basically, uh, every pick, instead of having a minute to make your pick, you might have like four or five hours to make your pick. And actually, Yahoo also gives you the ability to pause it overnight. So we'll set all those settings. We'll probably do like four or five hours per pick. We could maybe change it during the draft. Obviously, we need to make the drafts finish before the season starts. We're planning to start them all around two weeks before the season start. And yeah, so it's like when it's your pick, you get an email saying, hey, it's your pick. And then you can take your time and think about it and pick who you want. And if you're busy, if you're at work and you could, you know, take an hour, take two hours, we're going to ask that people try to put in their picks as fast as they can. And there is the ability to set an auto draft. Like you could set your queue and you could tell fan tracks, please uh, take this guy at the top of my queue if he's still available right away. And that's obviously a nice thing you could do. Uh, but yeah, it's just a nice way because with a couple you know we have listeners from you know all over we're very excited about it and sometimes we've had people being forced to draft at like 4 a.m or 3 a.m because of the time zone that they're in and that's not very nice and also we've had 
bad people have to miss their draft because it's hard to coordinate 14, you know, strangers <laughs> amongst themselves, like, uh, to all be available for a draft. So all that coordination goes out the window, and now we can just focus on getting everyone in their draft. And actually, one other really fun thing about slow drafts that we discovered, which I think really tipped the scales for us, is it's it's really fun to have a chat room with the people you're drafting with. And you know, like when you're in a draft normally, like when you make a pick that other people wanted, you'll see a couple of people in the draft chat, you know, be like, oh, I really wanted that guy. Oh no. But then all of a sudden that moment is fleeting and it's over. Like to have this like chat room where you're just all day chirping and being like, oh, okay, guys, don't mess up my cue, please. I've got five, don't, please don't. And then, oh, I hate you. So, and you know, just the whole discussion and like, oh, I wish I wanted this player. And now I, I, you guys are so dumb for taking that player. It's just like, it's a really fun way to build league commerce like by the time the season starts you'll have already been having like two three weeks of chatting with your league during the draft i think that will lead to really fun discussion and trash talk and all of that during the season yeah and really getting to know your head-to-head opponents well like you you really get the chance to see how everybody else is building their teams and get to focus on the bigger picture and like elon said you you get to know who you're playing with so that when it's actually time to go up against it's like oh i i I know this person. I remember them. We chatted about this or we, we are like, it's a, it's a really nice way. As Elon said, like we discovered it. I did my drafts for the uh, patron playoff pool in parks. Like I was standing around a park while my kid played and I was just like, you know, flipping through the players on my phone. And it's a, it's a nice summer memory for me. So oh. I, I like that you can sort of drop in and, and then tune out when you need to, but drop in for your draft when it's time to pick or just to see what else is happening. So again, a slow snake draft, same as a snake draft, but not everybody has to be there at the same time. So yeah, don't worry about drafting at 4 a.m. your time. Don't worry about drafting from your best friend's wedding. Uh, you know, you don't <laughs> All need to All true find. stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we've had some really funny cuckupful draft stories. Uh, we're going to lose those with this change. So, uh, but I think it's going to be worth it so that everybody can be there to draft and uh, it's just a, a nice drawn out. Like the draft is one of the most fun parts of the of the year. And I don't think making it a slow draft instead of a fast draft changes that at all. Yeah, I guess there is one con that we discussed. And obviously nothing's perfect. But yeah, one thing that could sort of make things weird is like, let's say the draft is going and then news come, like some big news item comes out, like after five or 10 rounds, that really affects the value of a player. Like, let's say all of a sudden we're seeing in training camp that Kyle Turris is on the top line with Connor McNavid and, and like crushing it and so all of a sudden like whoever has the next pick that news story came out or it's like they're watching the game happen and then they're like oh I'm going to take tourists and then it just happened to be lucky that that person happened to you know have their pick when this news came out or let's say like remember that this news that just came out that Ben Bishop is going to be out for five months imagine if that happened in the middle of the draft and all of a sudden now the person who's picking next was like yoink Hudobin I'll take him now all of a sudden he's a starting goalie on Dallas so that could happen and uh yeah i guess it's just uh, gonna be part of it i guess brian you have a counter argument for why it's maybe not so bad yeah i'll just see the flip side of that like for sure someone could get really lucky with a piece of news dropping just in time uh for a pick they're about to make that either warns them about a player who's injured or out or uh gives a really positive review for a player who's still on the board and you weren't sure about uh, but the flip side of that is, let's say, in Elon's example, if you did already draft Ben Bishop and you find he's injured, well, you still, like, you're still in the draft. The draft hasn't ended. So you can actually work to compensate for that in real time instead of just being like, oh, crud, like, the draft is already over. I need to go to the free agent pool where there's literally nobody left to replace Ben Bishop. So you can start making those on-the-fly adjustments because it's a slow draft and you have the time. Like, and I, I think 
Like that's that's sort of the the saving grace. Of course, it's not fun to see someone get an advantage because of news that broke during their pick, during their two or three hour window to pick. Uh, but you just have to be accepting the fact that that's going to happen and be ready to take advantage of it however you can, which is what I'm talking about when, you know, you can use the rest of your draft to make up for that star player that might be injured. Yeah. And okay, one last thing I'll mention about the draft before we move on to some other league settings. Uh, in the Cacuffle this year, if you're not going to be in Tier 1 and you're like, ugh, I really wanted to auction draft, we actually are going to have the option to potentially auction draft. So basically, in the registration form, we have a question as part of, like, do you want to do an auction draft? Uh, you know, by default, it's going to be this, like, slow uh, snake draft, but you have the option to select, yeah, I'm interested in auction. And if we could find 14 people in a division or in a tier, I should say, and then we could put them all in the same division. Uh, if we could find 14 people that are all interested in auction drafting, that we can get them all to agree on a time and all like basically give a blood oath to promise that they're going to be there because having an auto drafter in an auction draft doesn't work very well. Like Theoretically, we might be able to make it work. So if you really want to auction draft in couple, not in tier one, it's possible. Say in your registration form that you're interested, and Brian said he's going to work hard to make it happen. Like He'll start a group chat with everyone who said that they're interested in a particular tier and see if they can work out a time. And I'm, I'm only going to accept it if all the 14 people have like promised, like promised for sure that they're going to be there at that time. I don't want to hear about any <laughs> auto-drafting auctions. If you don't make it, if you promise and you don't make it, you are dead to Elon. Yeah. As a commissioner, he will never, ever forgive you or trust you again. You will fall so down far his patron power rankings, you won't even know what hit you. Your head will be spinning. Maybe we'll ask everyone to have a backup drafter that they give us the phone number for that we can bring in. Okay, well, okay, anyway, so let's yeah, go back let's... to the next uh, league setting here. So we talked about uh, drafting, we talked about head-to-head versus season-long. Let's go to another big debate people like to have, which is how we're going to score the league, not in terms of, like, throughout the season, but just on a given day, uh, the two main options options are you could have a points league or a categories league and that's especially for head-to-head uh so you can either so for a points league you're basically giving a point value for each of the different categories you want to track so let's say a goal is worth four an assist is worth three a shot is worth 0.5 like you just give each thing a, a, a value and then anytime your player does stuff you're adding or potentially removing points from your team and that's a that's a points league and at the end of the matchup it'll be like I won 450 to 440. And so look at me. I won my matchup. Okay, that's a win. The other person lost. Uh, The other option is to have a categories league where, again, you pick what your categories are. You don't necessarily have to give them values. You say the categories are going to be goals, assists, shots, power play points, blocks, hits. And then in the weekly matchup, we're just going to keep track separately for each one. Who's win- who won goals? Who won assists? Who won shots? And at the end of the week, however many categories you win, that's how many like points you got for the week, like standings points. And so you could win six to four, have a close matchup win, or you could win nine to one. And there's actually a difference there. As opposed to in a points league, that's actually maybe a pro for categories leagues over points leagues, is you could have a more like fine distinction between whether you won by a lot or a little and actually have it affect things. In a points league, you could win by 500 points or you could win by one point. And generally, it's just a standings point either way. But yeah, those are the main two. And there's a lot, maybe even more so than auction versus snake. I know there's a lot of strong opinions out there about categories versus points. Dave, who's on the show before, vehemently thinks that points are bad and categories are the only like smart way to play. Like that's the way to play fantasy. And then you've got like Dom Lucician, who we've had on the show before, who thinks that categories leagues are like jokes and that the only real way to play fantasy is a points league. And there's, 
you know, I, Brian and I are more e- even keel. I feel like we both would agree that there's pros and cons for both, and maybe we could talk through some of them. I personally like them both. I, I don't mind actually playing in some leagues of one format and some of another in, in the single season. It's like choosing, you know, do I want the watermelon Jolly Rancher or the blue raspberry Jolly Rancher? It's like, I they're both good, and I know what I'm going to get from one versus the other. It doesn't mean I, I hate or am philosophically opposed to one because I choose the other. So that's how I feel it is between points and categories, too. Uh, they're both legit fantasy games. They're both different fantasy games. Yeah, Brian, being very diplomatic, try to say, like, both are good. It just depends what you want. Some people obviously disagree and think one is better than the other. I think, like, it really depends what you want to get out of your fantasy experience, right? Like, definitely for categories leagues, there's a lot more strategy to it, I would say. There's a lot more different strategies that can be at play where you could look at your week and try to decide, like, okay, my opponent has a lot of hits already. He's going to for sure crush me in hits, so I don't need to go for hits, guys. Let me go for assists, guys, because I think that's going to be close. So you can really sort of hone in on the categories that you need to focus on. Also, when you're drafting, I think there's a lot more you know obviously there's like you have to kind of you can't just rank people by taking projections and then calculating how many points each player is expected to get in terms of fantasy points you have to actually try to decide is it worth it for me to take a player who i think is going to get a few fewer points in exchange for extra blocks and you have to really kind of figure out that value that you're getting from each player and it's kind of like you get to a point where a player that's really good for goals becomes less valuable to you if you already have a lot of goals because you don't need more goals because at the end of the day you're just gonna either win or lose which is actually a pro i think for points leagues because you're gonna get credit for each goal you score each goal you score is another point while in a categories league it must be it's really annoying if like i really need an assist but my player scored a goal so i'm like sad that my player scored a goal and didn't get an assist and normally you should be happy when your player scores a goal so yeah i also think with categories trading becomes a bit more interesting because instead of all players sort of just you know, falling in this list of like, I think this person's got this many points. Obviously, like, if you disagree on how many points each player is going to get, that that that's where you can make trades happen, buy low, sell high, and all of that. But with categories leagues, you could actually have a win-win trade. We're like, I need assists, you need shots on goal, let's make a deal. For sure. And we've talked about strategy in categories leagues that way before too. Like, should you trade from a position of strength? Or like, should you actually just keep it a position of strength rather than trying to be average in every category across your league? Uh, And that's actually a question that often comes up in like our Facebook and Discord groups for team management. I guess that's that's another question. One thing I do like about points leagues though, and Elon, you sort of just touched on this, is that every player is worth the same. And while that might sound boring to some, it also really does make it a straight up who is right about each player kind of game where if you project a guy accurately, you're going to get the credit for it. Uh, it's not going to be, oh, well, he didn't fill this category enough, as you already talked about, Elon. It's just, okay, this is straight up in our scoring format, the best player. I'm putting my money on this player saying that's the case and everybody else is doing that. So that's one thing I like about points leagues where every player is of equal value to every manager. Well, not exactly, because you still have position eligibility. So maybe a center okay. that gives you more points is not as good <laughs> as a defenseman as yeah. fewer. But yeah, obviously I get what you're saying. But obviously I had to point that out because if I was listening to the podcast, that's what I'd be yelling okay. at my phone. <laughs> right. Okay. So in the cacuffle for this year, like Brian said, we used to do categories. 
Right now we're doing points. We're going to stick with points again for this year. Who knows if we will change it in the future. Alex is saying in the chat, categories is for fantasy noobs. So like I said, it's a, you know, people feel very strongly about this. It can be very tense. It can. And I like, I I like that we don't, I, we feel uh, for some reason, the draft argument gets us going more than, than points versus categories. I think we really think both are legit. I don't think you can say one, one is more real than another. Like categories, you have more opportunity to outmanage uh, you know, and, and get to know your opponent's strengths and your strengths and target categories right up the front of your week. It might make your week a little more dynamic. But in a points leagues, you're just constantly trying to put straight up the best team on your roster. So it's a it's a it's a fun both are fun ways to play fantasy. I like watermelon Jolly Ranchers. I like blue raspberry okay. Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> there you go. Uh okay, so like I said, we're going to use points this year and then obviously once you come up with that decision, then you have to decide which Actually, wait, before I get to that, Alex is making a point in the chat room, which I've seen a lot in the categories versus points debate. And actually, I do want to address it. So he's saying any system that makes a single block to a single goal being equal, that's not good. That's basically, and I've heard that a lot. It's like the problem with categories leagues is, you know, if you win blocks, it's the same as winning goals. And while technically that's true, I will say I have a counter argument for that. Because, well, first of all, you could just uh, give your categories different weights. So if you wanted to, you can make goals worth more than blocks or whatever if you wanted to. But I don't even think you need to because the thing with offensive categories is that they stack. So if you're designing your league properly, you're going to have goals like assists, power play points. I even like having points as a category. So if your player scores a goal, you're getting right away a shot, a goal, and a point. So like a player that's only good for hits, like a player that hits a lot, might not help you in anything else, while a player that is a good scorer is helping you in a bunch of categories. So that's why like the offensive players are worth more than the hitters. So yeah, technically, I get what you're saying, that a hit can be equal to a goal, but not really. And also don't forget that players generally hit more than they score goals. So that's another reason why it's not equal. Like it's a lot, it's very easy to find hits in free agency if you're down in hits and you want to try to compete in that category. It's very hard to find goals because even the best players like Alex Ovechkin, he doesn't even score a goal every game. But, you know, someone like Borowiecki, he's guaranteed to give you like multiple hits every game and you're never going to see Borowiecki not get a hit. But, like even the great Alex Ovechkin sometimes doesn't score a goal. So that's, that's my like counter argument to what Alex said. But I do get what he's saying. Me too. Okay. Uh, and since we've already, like, I, it seems you seem very defensive. Well, no, I just wanted to respond. If someone's making that point, I, I want this to be the comprehensive episode about league design. And I want, if someone's throwing out uh, an argument, I want, I want to address it. So, uh, okay. But next, yeah, once you've decided on your scoring setting, like I said, we're using points, then you got to come up with, first of all, which things to track and how much weight to give them. So in the couple, we've gone with the following and we've been using this system pretty much for the last three years with a few little tweaks here and there. We could discuss them, but we go goals are worth 4.5, assists are worth three, shots are worth 0.5, hits 0.25, blocks 0.5, shorthanded points one. That's it for our offensive or skater categories. And then for goalies, we have wins over two, saves are 0.35, goals against negative two, and shutouts two. And no, you don't need a pen and paper. If you're interested, you could go to keepingcarlson.com slash league or keepingcarlson.com slash couple. They'll both take you to the same place, which is, our, which is our rules doc, which breaks all of this down if you're interested. And I like this setup, Brian. Like we actually had a question. Alex asked, what is the process for assigning point values for each metric? Did you go over them from last year and adjust? And so, yeah, we actually, I remember when we designed the system at first, like, we actually went through quite a big experimental phase of trying to figure out what's the best weightings. You know, I think the best way to do it 
is you make a big spreadsheet of all of the players and how they did in all the different categories, and then you start playing with different weightings and see that how that'll affect the rankings. And I think you kind of want to look at your player rankings and see if you're happy with it. You know, like you don't want if you see that. I don't know, like pick a player that's really good. Like if Mitch Marner is like 200th in your rankings because assists aren't worth that much, then maybe you're thinking like, do I want Mitch Marner to be the 200th ranked player in my league? So I think that's like the general gist. But uh, we could dig into the specific scoring settings that we ended up with. But I think that's like, that would be my advice to you if you're trying to come up with the point totals for your league. Yeah, this is how we did it, right? We had a bunch of different uh, possible scoring configurations and we ran the numbers and ranked players accordingly in each configuration. We eyeballed them all and said, which one looks right? And actually that had a huge, probably had the biggest bearing on how we decided to weight goalies, uh, which is a whole, like, we'll get to that part of the conversation. But there was a moment where goalies, like, were littering the top 30 of of ranked players and that 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 didn't feel right to us like that they had outsized value so you can still see also if a centerman or like you know a face-off winner is going to have outsized value you really get to look by using the previous numbers stats with your proposed scoring system so we did that we've used it a couple years as you've said we've tweaked where we saw fit and have landed on something that we think uh, it just feels intuitive it feels really fair and reasonable and there's no weird big surprises that have popped up during the season so to me that makes it a really strong point system yeah i mean i could break down a little bit how we came up with it there's actually an article by johnny fantasy from back in 2015 that always really stuck with me it was like called the commissioner's manifesto and it was actually like a multi-part series uh but like part five was called in search of the perfect point systems you could google that or we could link to that in our show notes actually and like he like did the research of kind of trying to figure out how common each thing is to happen so for example a goal happens approximately every two assists which makes sense right like every time there's a goal on the ice usually one player gets the goal and two people get an assist sometimes it's one so what we figure is we want to have that a similar ratio so that's why we have goals are worth 4.5 and assists are worth three because it was like that ratio was good and actually we originally had it as five to three like five points for a goal and three points for assist but then we realized you're also getting the points for the, sh- the shot when you score a goal so in general a goal is actually worth five in our league because a shot is worth 0.5 uh so yeah that's kind of how we came up with this like five to three ratio of goals to assist also like in this article it talked about how generally a player will score one goal for every 10 shots so that's you know why we have it being a shot is 0.5 and a goal is worth five or 4.5 like i said uh you know so we kind of like went from there and figure out like how common these different things are and that's i think a good way to start coming up with your point system uh let's talk about some notable omissions like categories we didn't include in the point system because one that we decided last year i believe it was was power play points and that was actually something that surprised a lot of people you may have noticed we have goals assists shots hits blocks and shorthanded points but we don't give points for power play points. And the reason that we decided not to is we realized, like, when you look at the couple leading scorers from last year, the best power play players are already at the top of the list, right? And then that makes sense, right? Because if you're going to get a lot of power play points, that means that you're getting a lot of points. If anything, the fact that this player is getting power play time and getting to 
get these easier points. That's the reason why they're at the top of the scoring league, and, and that's why uh, they're already so valuable. So we didn't feel we needed to give them an additional boost by giving you an extra point for scoring a power play point. You already had that advantage from just being on the power play in the first place. Like this year, the top power play forwards were like Dreisaitl, Pasternak. You know, it's the, same, the, the same people at the top of the list were the people who were at the top of the power play list. So that's why we decided to leave it out. Uh, I guess the con of this decision, because again, with all these things, there's pros and cons. Uh, this hurts the rankings of defensemen who get a lot of their power play points through assists if you're in a league like ours where assists are worth less than goals. So I know it's like Tori Krug ranked 127th in our points uh, behind Evgeny Kuznetsov, even though Krug had 28 power play points and Kuznetsov had only 12 power play points. So you might say, oh, the reason why you want to give an extra bonus for power play points is because you want to help these defensemen. But in my opinion, like you already want to value a Krug over a Kuznetsov because of value over replacement. Like you need to fill your defense spots. So I feel like defense already has extra value because it's so hard to replace the top ones. Yeah, so I think you made a a really good explanation for why we don't count power play points, because you're getting credit for all of that already, and adding in the power play point piece just makes those players uh, too far in another stratosphere. Like, they could be too overpowered if you include power play points. We have a question in the chat from S. Kafka who says, I don't get why you would include shorthanded points, but not power play points. So yeah, we we award one cuckupful point for every shorthanded point a player scored. And my answer for that is that uh, it's pretty cool to see a player do something shorthanded. And especially if they're an offensive player who's going to be on your roster anyway, and they're such a great defensive and two-way player that they do get that shorthanded time to work with. Uh, to me, that's something like that they really earn that's separate from their usual offensive role. So I'm happy to give them credit for that extra element that they have in their game. Uh, like the power play element is very similar to the five on five element, right? It's just like they're really good at passing and shooting the puck. But the shorthanded piece, they're trusted with penalty kill minutes. Uh, to me, that's a fun way to find a reason to, to reward a player who does get those responsibilities. And also, uh, like there's like this whole evolving piece about power killers, right? Guys who play on the penalty kill, but actually are super dangerous for forcing turnovers and getting legit scoring chances while shorthanded. Uh, Brad Marchand has long been one. Sebastian Ajo is becoming another. Uh, it's a really fun, new evolving piece of the game. And if you can find those guys and add some extra value to them, I'm all for it. Yeah, like at the end of the day, it's not like a big part of the league's scoring. Anyways, like I don't think that shorthanded points have decided many weeks in the cupful. Like we're talking one extra point out of the goal, which was already worth 4.5 or the assist that was already worth three. But like you said, Brian, I think it's just like, it's really hard to get a shorthanded point. So I think that it's cool to get a reward for it's a bonus. But like we said, like power play points, the best players are already getting a bunch of power play points. They don't need an extra reward for it. So that's why we made that decision. And just to mention, like if we were in a categories league, we would never include shorthanded points, right? Because they're so rare that if you had a shorthanded points category where you get a whole category win depending on if you had more shorthanded points than your opponent it would be so random like some weeks it would be like one nothing or two to one so it's like it's a nice thing that you can give a reward for in a 
points league, but I would never include it in a categories. It's actually the same argument I'd make for shutouts for goalies. Like it's nice to give a bonus number of points for shutouts to a goalie because why not? Like they just got the shutouts. It's exciting. You're watching like, boom, I just got an extra two fantasy points. But if your whole week depended on like your one shutout versus your opponent's zero shutouts, that wouldn't really be fair in a categories league. So I think these rare events, which, is, which actually I guess is a good reason, an argument for points leagues over categories leagues is you could reward these rare events and you maybe wouldn't want to do so for a categories league where that'll like sway the whole week. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth because shorthanded points like shutouts are super variable, right? Like it's pretty random where they pop up and there aren't so many that they're constantly coming through a season. So it's just like this extra bonus that you might get every third or fourth week, or you might get three of them in one week and none for the next five. And uh, and, and so it's it's not something that's going to really change the whole landscape of your fantasy league, but it might be one key moment. And like you also said, Elon, it is a reason to favor points versus categories. If you do like categories for shutouts and shorthanded points, those really are just coin flips week to week. Generally, like I mentioned, there are a couple guys you could load up on to try and weight the odds in your favor. But really, you're just hoping that you happen to get a shutout or a shorthanded point when your opponent doesn't in a category league. And in the points league, it's just like a, hey, here you go, little head nod. And if you really needed it, congratulations, you got it at exactly the right time. Yeah. Okay. So then some other categories that we didn't include that a lot of other leagues use are, I'm just going to rhyme some off, like plus minus, penalty minutes, game winning goals. These are all very popular. And we've long disavowed using these categories. Like Obviously, if you're just like wanting to make this a more strategic game, and you just want to have more things to track, then sure. But I feel like a big part of fantasy for me is like watching a game and like kind of cheering for my players to play well and thus help my fantasy team. And really, like, we've discussed, like, I don't know, do you want to give your rants on plus minus pims and game winning goals? Game winning goals, by the way, is the worst. I'll do the rant for game winning goals. Because that's not like a game winning goal is great. Like, obviously, that's not a bad thing a player does. But it's like, it's it's so random. Like, if a player scores the goal that makes the game two nothing, and then by the end of the game, they ended up winning two to one. So that second goal counts as the game winning goal. That wasn't like a clutch goal. Like, I could see giving an extra bonus for like an overtime goal, or like a third period goal that broke the tie. But game winning goals to me, is like too silly of a category because so many goals get counted as game winning goals that weren't actually like clutch, you know, which is the thing I think that category is trying to measure. Yeah, a clutch goal category would be fun. So that would be like a close score goal is what I would call it. So if the game is within one goal, like like if teams are within one goal of each other, uh, to me, that counts as a clutch goal, right? You're either catching up or you're getting, you're taking the lead even further. So to, like if you want to count important goals, that's how I would do it, not by game winning goals, where essentially every goal the player scores is a lotto ticket that could turn into a game winning goal. Yeah. So all it really does is wait the the big scorers even more. So if you really want to celebrate goal scoring, uh, go ahead and add that game winning goal category. But you're really not measuring players known to win the game. You're just measuring players who happen to score a lot of goals. And so more often than not, end up with the game winner. Um, I'll speak to plus minus. I was actually listening to the Too Many Men podcast. And they had on the Seattle Kraken's director of hockey strategy and research, Alexandra Madricki. I'm not sure. I might be botching her name. Uh, But she was talking about how plus minus is probably the most useless stat. And if somebody in a team's hockey analytics department is saying that, I think we can all take her word for it and agree. Although we don't have to, right? Like This has been an ongoing conversation about plus minus doesn't really measure 
what a player is contributing or not contributing to their team. If anyone has ever played like the be a, be a pro mode of an NHL video game, you know how frustrating it is when you are doing your job as a player and then someone else blows it or your goalie just, just does nothing and you get minus on the play. Some players can get plus and minus when they're just like coming on to or leaving the ice. It really does not demonstrate the value of any player or, or the skill or effectiveness of any player at any given time. Like, if you really wanted to make this fair, uh, somebody would have to be independently assigning players pluses or minuses, depending on how involved they were in oh. contributing to the goal that was scored for or against on the ice. But that's not going to happen. That's so subjective. So plus minus as this, like, blunt objective tool is a whole bunch of hokum and nonsense and really doesn't represent any kind of a valuable measure of player effect or impact. Yeah, I mean, if you play on the San Jose Sharks, you're guaranteed to get a minus, no matter how good a player you are, because Martin Jones doesn't know how to stop the puck. That's, you know, that's all you gotta know. So it's like, it's not fair to judge your players based on how good the rest of the team is. So I think we're in agreement there. Penalty minutes goes without saying. Or what, are you gonna cheer? You wanna cheer for your player to get a penalty and hurt their team? That seems like a weird thing. You could have penalties as negative. We actually tried that with, we had the Cigar League, which stood for Can I Get a Redo, that Ryan and Marcus started midway through last year of the regular season, where we just start with the patrons like brand new leagues that we drafted and one thing that they did to make it different than the couple was they counted pims for negative and uh i don't know i don't like that either actually mainly because i feel like if the player gets in a fight that's like negative five pims you know that's like five penalty minutes and that didn't even hurt the team and you know but like if you get a two minute penalty it's not even that bad i don't know so it's just like all weighted incorrectly like maybe if there was like pims but not including fights Maybe, but I don't know. I, I would just leave that category out unless you just like tracking an extra thing or giving more value to a, a rough and tough player. But I don't see a reason for that. But obviously, to each their own. We don't like it. Another popular one is face-off wins. So you could do that. That obviously helps centers be more valuable. And I definitely get that in some leagues because oftentimes centers are the deepest position and it's easier to find centers. So it's worth it to not draft a center that might be better than a left wing who's available just because it's harder to replace left wings. So if you have face-off wins and all of a sudden centers become more valuable and the real valuable people, if you count face-off wins, are the people with dual eligibility. Like Leon Dreisaitl, if you could put him in a left wing spot, but he's winning you a bunch of face-offs, all of a sudden you have four face-off people on your team instead of three, assuming you had three center spots. So then you're adding like sort of that might also be kind of unfair though so but it's part of the strategy and then you have players sometimes have extra positions added throughout the season so that's to me i think a con for face-off wins i don't know about about you brian but i don't think like a position eligibility being added should like drastically improve a team because now all of a sudden they're getting an extra player contributing to face-off wins than before they weren't able to I agree. Face-off wins just doesn't feel exciting. Like, generally in the NHL, a face-off is, it's a really great way to start a play because it's essentially a coin flip. So it's like no team deserves to start with the puck. So we've actually perfected this whole system where each team gets about a 50% chance to start the play with the puck, uh, regardless of whether you're in your offensive zone or defensive zone. Some players, yes, have demonstrated uh, above average or below average skill in the stat, but not enough to really make this stat worthwhile in a lot of leagues. So really all it does is add a whole lot of extra value to centers, which may be your jam because there are more fantasy relevant centers than there are any other position. So it helps keep some value on those deep centermen who end up getting let looked over for the left and right wingers or defensemen. But 
I generally like I, it just it also like I said at the top it doesn't excite me I'm not that interested it's just like who's gonna take the most face offs okay you could argue that it's it's a defensively trusted player that would be my best argument for including it's like oh okay their coach uh trusts them to take big draws in the offensive and defensive zone but it also assigns some weird fantasy values to players who probably should generally not be rostered otherwise yeah, okay. So I think that's it for face-off wins. We choose not to use it in Cupful. Uh, the other sort of, I think, unique thing we do with our scoring settings is how we handle goalies. So you'll notice I said there's two points for a win. Then it's like negative two for a goal against and 0.35 for a save. So how that basically works out is that the goals against and saves, so basically how well the goalie plays, that's going to be the large majority of the number of points the goalie is contributing. The win is like a little bit extra, sure, but all you need to do is make what is it, seven, eight saves, and that's equivalent to a win. So what we've done here is we've decided that yeah, if the team wins, that's that's okay, but it's not really a measure of how good the goalie is. We'd rather just reward the goalie for how well they perform. And this is actually different than a lot of leagues. I think a lot of the leagues I've played in are actually the opposite, where it's like the win is like the most important thing, and it's like 10 points for a win, and then like whatever, point one for a save, you know, and then a little bit of a penalty for a goal against but we decided to go hard on just like valuing the goals against and saves versus the wins so that's one big thing we did with goalies that's different than other leagues brian do you want to comment on that before i get to the other thing that's like sort of the evolution of the save points category which was what we used when we were a categories league with the kick full back on fan tracks fan tracks has this awesome category where it's you know you get uh, you know, a point for every save made, but then it's like minus three or minus five for every goal against. So it basically is an, is another way to measure essentially what save percentage does. Um, but it takes out the volume piece of it. But that's sort of what we're doing here with, with the way we measure goalies do. It's like you have to be like a roughly well, what's seven out of eight? I can't do the math off the top of my head, but you have to be a nine oh five ish goalie to be able to get positive fantasy points in a given night. And if you get worse than that, like you, you won't get dinged too hard unless you have a really bad night. Um, like you don't want goalies making or breaking your week for the most part. So we try and balance both sides of that so that the penalty for a bad night for a goalie isn't awful. Although I, I think Miko Koskinen once dropped like a minus 10 on me. Those really hurt. But then uh, like, I guess if you were to, to show a distribution of the goalie performances we get, there's real, like the outliers are those extremes where it's the, the really big nights and the really poor nights. And for the most part, you want them sort of performing like skaters. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So you're sort of actually referencing the second thing I was going to bring up for our goalie points. So yeah, like we decided again, the first thing I brought up was, yeah, we decided to do goalie performance over wins. But then yeah, you're talking about also how we weighted goalies compared to the skaters. And yeah, a decision that we made, and you'll look, if you look at the last year's results and sort by total fantasy points by all the players, there's not many goalies at the top. And that was a conscious decision that we made because we don't want the team with like the best goalies to be the team that almost for sure wins the league like goalies are a useful player on your roster for sure but you know goalie performance is just so random like the more like i'm almost on the team of like not even having goalies sometimes because it's so like impossible to predict how they do and i have Kerry price who i spent like a lot of money in my auction draft for then he ended up having like not a great season it's like well great like that never happens with like i'm not going to draft brad marchand then all of a sudden he's going to be a 40 point guy you know but with goalies it's so random so we didn't want the goalies to like make or break so much so you'll notice that the goalies are like important because you have two goalie spots and you might as well use them because if you don't, those are just empty spots. And so it's definitely worth it to like have goalies on your team. But if you really mess up, then you 
could just like drop your goal. You know, if you have two bad goalies and you blew the draft, you could even drop them, just have extra bench players. And that's, I think, a, a very uni- unique thing about the cupful. So it's like that, that actually gives us multiple ways to win your league. Like some people are successful with like two or three goalies and some people are successful with zero goalies. I think it just comes down to how you did in the draft or did you get lucky to get good goalies? And also sometimes in free agency, I remember a couple seasons ago when I won my tier two division, a big part of that was I added Darcy Kemper out of free agency. Remember when he went to Arizona and just exploded and he was like a huge part of my victory and that was great uh so yeah i was obviously a big fan of team having goalies but other people were like you don't even need goalies you could have no goalies but obviously if they had darcy kemper they'd be feeling differently so that's how we decided to handle goalies and couple they're important and we value their saves and goals against more than wins but they're hopefully not going to make or break your league right and you can also do without them which means i think we've really sort of hit the sweet spot in goalie value, where you can choose to use those roster spots for goalies, or you can just forgo them all together. Both are legit winning strategies in the cupful if you play it right. Some people like do a mix. Like I, at one point last season, I had five goalies on my roster, and within four weeks, I had just one of those goalies left. The rest were were gone. Like you're just streaming in goalies the way you would a, a skater. So I, I really like the way that goalies don't have these superpowers that they do in so many formats that makes it so difficult uh, when you're drafting, when you want to reach for someone like Braden Holtby or Carey Price, who's supposed to be amazing, and then lets you down and your season is uh, just down the tubes. Also, I will speak to that that wins piece, Elon, that you mentioned that you wanted me to speak to before just about like what actually determines goalie talent. Wins is a team stat. So giving goalie credit for those like seems, well, you're basically drafting a team along with the goalie and goals against average to me, it, I wouldn't say it's the plus minus of goalie stats, but it's, it's on the same sort of uh, like trend to me uh, because goals against is very much a team stat too. Uh, goalies rarely have any control over it, which is why you want safe percentage to be your key goalie cat. And then of course you add in saves if you want volume and then wins like we do. If you want to add a little bonus to the goalie, you know, to, to reward people who pick number one goalies on the best teams in the league. Yeah, so Brian's actually now switching into categories leagues because save percentage, obviously you can't really use that in a points league. That's why we just have goals against and saves, which basically simulates save percentage. Yeah, in a categories league, yeah, when we used to do the cupful as a categories league, we didn't have goals against average. Get that out of here. And actually, we talked to Victor a couple episodes ago, if you recall, Brian, and for this dynasty league that he's running, he doesn't even use regular save percentage. Fantrax lets you just use even strength save percentage if you want, and that's actually the category that we use in that league. So he wanted to even take away the variance of power plays because that's like sometimes a goalie just gets bad luck and if one goalie happens to go shorthanded more often than another goalie they're likely going to have a worse save percentage because it's harder to stop those shots on the power play Uh, so that's another option you can have if you're doing a categories league and if you're on Fantrax and you could use all of their fancy categories Uh, so okay that is points and categories and all of that. I think we've pretty much covered that. So the next thing I wanted to bring up is rosters. That's another big decision you have to make for your league. Like, what are going to be the requirements of how to fill your team? So the most basic thing you could do is you could just have... I don't know, 10 skaters, two goalies, and be done. And then most leagues will split up forwards and defensemen. Uh, then you can get more specific and have like a spot for center, like a couple spots for centers, left wing, right wing, defense, goalies. And then sometimes also leagues in the, in 
the couple we do this, we do have two center, two left wing, two right wing, two goalies, two uh, forward defense. And then we also have a couple utility spots, which are people that you can put as either forward or defense, just to give you some flexibility. Uh, so I guess we can talk through just the pros and cons of having like straight up forwards versus center, left wing, and right wing being differentiated. Because I've seen those are the two main ways I've seen leagues designed. And, and I know that we definitely wanted to go centers, left wing, right wing separate to add a bit more strategy, right? Because it's pr- if you're just having forwards, then you don't have to even think about, oh, I need to fill this. But like, you know, I already have a couple left wings. Now I need to think of a right wing. It just adds more to it. And also, I guess it's more like you're actually filling a real NHL roster. Like it, ha- like it wouldn't make sense to have a team of only centers, right? So here it's like kind of simulating that you're running a team. You need to sort of fill it out like a real NHL team. Yeah, some people are used to leagues, including Go Hollywood in our chat, where it's just like forwards and defensemen, and that's it. So we make sure that you have certain centers, left wings, right wings, along with a, a roster of a reasonably deep defense core. And then you have a couple of utility spots that you can choose to do. Uh, Elon, you already said this. Um, I will mention that th- having each position named and not just a bunch of forwards gives some value to value over replacement, right? Or VORP, as we often like to say, uh, this is the idea that, hey, uh, there might be a 50-point left winger out there and a 60-point center, but the drop between the guys behind each of those at their positions is uh, is disproportionate. So the next best left winger is like a 40-point left winger, and the next best center is like a 58-point center, you're going to want to try and snap up that left winger. Even though they're not as good as the centerman, uh, you've got to consider what their value is uh, weighed against the next best possible option. So having everybody have to fill certain positions in their roster means that you are trying to make these decisions real time about the value over replacement of each player you add to your team. And you're not just going blindly for the best player available, which adds a whole other strategic element and also uh, something that you might try to address in trading also. Yeah, I honestly, I can't think of any argument for why having just forward spots as opposed to center left wing right wing is like better. I think it's just like it's easier. It's like you're playing a video game and you're choosing easy mode, medium or hard. And it's like easiest is just don't have different positions. And then hard is to split it up into all the actual positions. And I'd like to hear an argument for why like strategically it makes the game better to have just forwards versus the different centers and wingers. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, I think it's just more casual to do it that way. And you end up essentially with everybody just owning a bunch of centermen and you have a a less diverse player pool. Like I like needing a certain amount of left wingers and right wingers, especially having a deep enough uh, roster of defensemen so that you do get to pay attention to players in the league who you might not normally pay attention to. Like there would be no reason in an all forwards league to have streamed guys like Oliver Bjorkstrand or Jacob Vrana at certain points, like before they they upped their games and became like permanently fantasy relevant. There's no chance to take a swing or flyer on those guys. Having wing and center eligibilities does make it more worthwhile. Yeah. And by the way, in the cupful, maybe we are making things a little easier because we do have these two utility spots. So you really only need like a couple left wings and a couple right wings. And then you can fill like two centers and then two centers in your two utility spots. So like John is saying here in the chat, who won his division and won the entire cupful last year. So I think we have to listen to him. He had the most points of everyone. He would have gotten the fast track. Uh, like He's saying that he actually let other people worry about value over replacement for the left wing and right wing. And he just went and snapped up these centers and it worked out 
out well for him because he was able to fit them in his lineup because of these utility spots. So yeah, we we, we want to make it a little fair. I guess if we wanted to make it a little harder, we'd have fewer utility spots and maybe more like specific designated just for those positions. Okay, another thing we do in Kakupful, which I want to, again, this is like, I'm not going to say an opinion, but I'm going to say like it's a fact. I think you should have IR spots in your league and I think you should have a decent amount of them. Now on Yahoo, I would use IR plus spots because IR spots are actually very frustrating because what that means is if a player is injured, you could only put him in your IR and replace him on your roster if they're actually designated injured by their team and on the injured reserve, which some teams like decide when and when not to put a player on their injured reserve for reasons that have nothing to do with the injury, but it's just about roster management. So I would say if you're on Yahoo, or I think Fantrax also has an option to choose what type of injury, I would say give it the flex. If the player's not playing, he's not helping your team, let your people in your league put these players in the IR so they can stash them and then pick up people out of free agency to replace them. And I hate, sometimes we get questions on our Twitter account that's like, um, I have like Marner and Stamkos both injured and I only have one IR spot. So which one should I drop or, or should I just like hang on and leave a roster spot empty? And it's like, Drop the league. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's like basically at that point if you're in a league with only like one IR spot, basically what that's saying is you're in a league where luck is going to dictate who wins this league. Like whoever has fewer injuries is going to win. Yeah, having your player be injured is punishment enough. Not being able to replace them on your roster is just salt in the wound, and it, it's not necessary. It's going to be enough of a drop between your injured player and the free agent replacement. That's going to hurt you, and that's bad luck, but you should at least be able to try to mitigate that bad luck somehow by having ample IR spots. Elon, I know one debate about having too many IR spots, maybe this isn't more about the IR spots, but just more about roster management, is some people like to keep players who are healthy stashed in their IR while they you know stream in and out players who uh, like other players on their roster just because they want to hold more players to see to to get a bigger sample of time with them on their roster to see who's gonna hit like you're really good at doing this actually and i don't begrudge you at all because yahoo lets you do it but there was a fan tracks you can actually lock people from moving people on their own roster let alone making transactions uh, if you have a healthy player in the ir so there are ways to really Cut those IR shenanigans where if you have a healthy player on IR, you need to you need to make your roster legal to be able to continue to compete. The on Yahoo generally you can still compete just fine if you have ineligible IR players who have become healthy. Stay in your IR. What's what's your take? on this yeah. you look really confused it, was i making sense no yeah, you're totally making sense okay. I'm so, i was starting to think like i hope that this is like accessible for people like i guess like we're an hour and a half into the episode so probably someone listening this far probably knows how ir spots work but yeah like on yahoo uh what happens is it, you put up you're only allowed to put a player in your ir if they're designated as injured but then once they're healthy they don't force you to take them out so like in the meantime i had added some other player to my roster to replace him i could leave now this healthy guy in the ir and like brian said maybe it's better like i don't know who i want to drop like if i want to bring that uh, injured player back to my roster I'm gonna have to drop someone to make room and if I like everyone on my team maybe I'll just be like alright I'll just leave my team how it is they seem fine and then maybe someone else will get injured at some point and then I'll be able to just swap them I don't even need to like drop anybody because people are getting injured all the time or at least going day to day with the flu or whatever so uh, yeah I definitely like to use that strategy and I I think it's smart uh, Yahoo does make it so you can't make a trade or like a ad or anything like if you have ineligible players in your IR but you can just keep your team as it is and if you like them then you don't have to do anything and uh I definitely take full advantage of that, and I would tell any player to take full advantage of that if it's in their league rules, right? Like, there's no 
point of I don't know being chivalrous and like honorable or whatever because the rest of, if you're the rest of your league isn't doing it then yeah just like keep the players in your IR and the punishment is you can't add anyone else so eventually you do have to make that decision of who to drop so the other big thing with rosters so by the way in the cupful we have four IR plus spots and hopefully that's enough like sometimes people even have too many injured players beyond four that happened to me one time last year so I don't know maybe we should consider adding it I think the one reason to not just have infinite IR spots is because then I feel like a good strategy would just be to add like every single injured player just so you could have more people stashed on your team so at some point we want to limit that and that's the reason why we don't have unlimited so four generally has been enough uh, so okay here's a big debate that we've been having recently Brian uh, we had a suggestion from again John our big suggestion the one who suggested the fast track also recommended or at least suggested if maybe we should consider not having bench spots so right now how it works is again we have two center two left wing two right wing four d two utility two goalies and then we have four bench and basically how that works is on a given night you can move players from your bench into your active spots and on a slow night it's obvious like yahoo even has a button for it where all the players on your bench spots you're going to put them into your active roster to actually accumulate points if a player's on your bench then their points don't count for that day but on like a busy night on a saturday where everyone's playing you actually have to make a decision of who to put in your bench and who to put in your roster and if you make the wrong decision you know sucks to be you you left like three goals on the bench you didn't get credit for them so yeah i just feel like a lot of leagues have bench spots and it's never been something i've considered to not have bench spots in a league like it seems like sit start decisions are such a big part of fantasy hockey like we always have a thread every saturday on our facebook group or discord like you know oh should i play this guy or should i play this guy who should i decide and like to not have a bench just seems weird but john brought up a good point that maybe it's worth considering not having a bench and then you just get credit for all the players on your team every night yeah i've been an advocate for this for a little while now, I think at least a year, probably at least two, actually, where you should just get credit for everybody you have on your roster. You shouldn't get punished for making that coin flip sit start decision and making the wrong one and having your week decided by it. That shouldn't be a deal breaker, whether with all the knowledge you have, which isn't possibly enough to predict the future, uh, your, your hunch takes you one direction and ends up being wrong, uh, or your opponents ends up being right. I would rather, personally, that whoever has the best 18 players on their roster should get credit from all of those players. They, they should be the one who wins, not whoever has the best top 14 on your roster. You should get credit for everything, everybody you've added to your team, either through the draft or free agency or, free, or through trade, for everything they do. And that's why I'm a, I'm a proponent of no bench spots. I really like what it adds, what it also does and this is either a plus or minus depending on your preference, but it also takes out the whole element of streaming. One thing, especially in a points league that happens with streaming, is the managers who are gaming the schedule the most often end up winning because sometimes margins can be so thin, especially in the top tiers of the cupful, that uh, games played ends up being a decider uh, a lot through the season. So that takes this piece of it away Somewhat like there still might be small games play differentials, but there's not as much trying to game the schedule and having to decide whether, uh, you know, this player who fits in your lineup on Wednesday and Friday is worth more than this player who is better, but only fits in your lineup on Thursday. Uh, you can actually get, uh, you can actually get all the points from all your best play, all your favorite players that you think are the best rather than taking worse players who are just playing more often. 
Yeah, definitely. This whole concept of off days, that's a big part of fantasy strategy. You want the players on Anaheim because Anaheim tends to play a lot on like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday so that you're always able to fit those guys in your roster as opposed to having these guys that you have to bench often on Saturday and Thursday because those happen to be busy days. So yeah, having no bench spots would get rid of that. By the way, some common... uh like criticisms of this suggestion. Like I posted on Twitter, just being like, what about this no bench idea? What do people think about that? And a lot of people were saying, well, I like my league to be deeper. So that's why I like having a bench. So again, we're not suggesting to like get rid of the bench spots and then keep everything else the same. Like what we're talking about is potentially like converting your bench spots into active spots, either utility spots or an extra center left wing, right wing. So you don't have to change how deep your league is if you decide to go on team no bench with Brian. Uh, I think the main cons, like the main reason, like Brian gave lots of reasons to get rid of the bench i'd say the main reasons to keep the bench and we are by the way going to keep the bench this season in cupful but we will definitely be considering this for next summer we just we have enough changes uh for this year so we're gonna leave it at that but uh some reasons to maybe not take away the bench first of all like dave benton's podcast the stream scheme is really fun and it's all about who you should pick up on a given week based on the schedule and i kind of like that part of fantasy like i like looking at the schedule so i know brian you said that's kind of like could be a pro and could be a con do you want to reward it but i kind of like saying ooh dallas has a great schedule <laughs> next week yeah that's that to me is like that's that's sort of like your auction draft con like to me that's a game within a game for fantasy is gaming the schedule it's not so much about finding the most talented players you're adding this whole other game where you're just trying to decide uh if this amount of volume from a certain player like quantity versus quality is what you end up deciding between and then I guess the other big thing is just those decisions, right? Those game night decisions. And I feel like that could be a pro and could be a con. I actually hate them. I agree with you that I don't like having to make that decision of whether to play player A or player B because I feel like what we're good at at Keeping Carlson is, you know, recommending for, like, the season. Like, we're going to project, I think, that Jacob Verana is going to have a really great season. So I would draft him over TJ Oshi, whatever. Like, that's an opinion. And we will research that. And that's, like easier to predict than a single game where anything can happen so i kind of don't love that like you said brian like i don't really love that uh, your weeks are decided by like single day decisions which are such coin flips i'd rather it be decided by like long-term decisions that we've made so yeah it's definitely something to consider and i'd be very interested for people to tweet at us at keeping carlson or the patrons to point out reasons uh pro and against like it seemed like when i posted it on twitter and on our facebook group, a lot of people were against getting rid of the bench but i don't see too many cons unless you really love uh streaming the schedule which is could be fun yeah? and if you really love sit start decisions so i guess it's uh like you said up to you but john's calling it in the chat here fantasy schedule manager <laughs> that's what the game becomes if you have these bench spots and you're trying to just get these monday wednesday guys with those primo schedules so okay another decision that i wanted to bring up it's not an option on yahoo so it's not something we were able to decide but we had a question from kevin one of our patrons asking if it's worth considering using team goalies instead of individual goalies so he said it's specifically for this year where there's not going to be a very long season there's probably going to be a lot of back-to-backs and teams are probably going to be playing their starters and their backups like more evenly than even usual is it maybe a season where you should consider using team goalies so basically instead of drafting Bobrovsky I'm just going to draft the Florida Panthers goalies then like anytime a Florida's goalie gets a win or gets a save or whatever it just counts for you and you don't actually have to worry about you know which goalie you specifically have or if you need to like add the backup if the main goalie gets injured because you just have the whole team uh you know we've i don't really like it i don't know like i i get all the reasons i feel like it would just like really like make our podcast a lot less interesting like i feel like it's so it's such a big deal like trying to talk about oh wow is this goalie gonna overtake that goalie like wow binnington is actually outplaying 
you know, whoever it was that you're Jake Allen, like it was exciting. And I feel like that would be like a big thing to take away. We're already potentially taking away the streaming and uh, and the schedules. Now you're going to also take away like when a goalie gets injured and like if goalies are overtaking other goalies. So I get the reasons why to do it. But for some reason, I just feel like it's like I like having specific goalies because I just like talking about them and paying attention to them. One thing I like about team goalies is it takes the guesswork out of trying to figure out who's going to start a given game for a certain team. We know some coaches are more likely than others to reveal their starters ahead of time, which can affect how you plan and manage your fantasy week and team. So for that reason, I like team goalies, but that's kind of the only reason I like it. Uh, like, I, like you, Elon, there's nothing I hate about it. In fact, I advocated for it a while back as being something that should be more common in fantasy. But I think there is something to be said for being able to bet on the guy that you think is going to start and riding with it. I think if there were ever a season to go with team goalies, it would be this one just because we're going yeah. to see more of a more of a split that we can't at all predict. Uh, so we don't really know how much to value certain goalies over their their 1B or number 2 counterparts this season and exactly how much injuries are going to come into it. That's another reason to like team goalies because if you lose your starter and you don't have the cuff, uh, you might be in big trouble depending on your format. Uh, so team goalies, it's not an awful idea. Uh, and it like it's very defendable. It's just like you said, Elon, I like being able to bet on individual goalies rather than the teams. And also that way you get the stats from the individual goalies that you want to bet on. So if you have like one really great goalie in a tandem and one really bad goalie in a tandem, you don't have to commit to both of them. You can just commit to the one you Oh, like. yeah. That's a good point. Like when Montreal would have backups like Antony Yemi, who were just terrible. And it's like, I don't want to be, well, I guess you could always put him on the bench for the days when that person is playing. But yeah, very good points. I think also in the end, it's like in the couple, like we said, we don't really make goalies have that much of an effect. Maybe if you're in a league where the goalies are going to determine the winner, which you've already said, I don't really like to do. But if your goalies are worth like a lot, then maybe this season, there's a better argument to use team goalies just because like you said, it's, it's otherwise it's going to be even more random depending on injuries and sit start decisions for coaches on which goalie to play. Uh, okay. So next up, let's talk about like free agents and transactions and all of that. So obviously in fantasy, a big part of the game is the draft. You draft your teams, but that's not your team for the whole season. There's a whole set of players that weren't drafted that are available in free agency. And depending on your league format, you like at any time, someone could just grab one, of, you know, drop a player from their team, replace them with someone in free agency. And once that player is gone, that's it. And that's like, to me, actually my favorite part of fantasy, I'd say is to be always like watching the free agents and trying to decide, Oh, should I drop this player for, you know, Victor Olofsson last year was like not drafting a lot of leagues. And then it was like, whoever was smart enough to grab him first really benefited from all those power play points he had early on in the year. So I guess the big ways to manage free agents, if you choose to use them, which I would definitely recommend using, uh, the most common thing is just like a free-for-all free agent system. Like you've got all the free agents available at any time. People can just drop a player from their team and add one of the free agents. And that's good. It's easy. Easy to understand. Sometimes you might have a limit for acquisitions in a week. You know, you can only do this four times a week or some leagues have like a season limit, like 50 times a year. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, you just like anytime you want to drop a player, add a player, you can do it. I guess the big con for that, and the reason why we don't use that in the couple, is it really benefits people who like have a lot of time and are available on their phone always to make moves in a moment's notice. Because sometimes like these things happen, like we were talking about with the draft, right? Like a player could get injured. If Ben Bishop gets injured, all of a sudden Anton Hudobin's value like spikes and it's 
maybe not the most fair if like you know some people in the league are like just people who are sitting at their desk that like i'm like i'm always on the internet like i i would be able to take advantage of free agents all the time but other people like have kids or like have jobs where they're busy and like you know and is it, it's not, i feel like it's not fair to give this huge advantage to people who just happen to have seen the news first so they can pull the trigger yeah, it shouldn't be a race to the ad button. It should. I like that having Fab levels the playing field for whether you do have access to the news and your fantasy app or computer uh, throughout the day or depending on your time zone. So it really just gives everybody the opportunity to bid against everybody else and say, hey, I want this player more than you. Uh, and that sort of gives a, ma- makes it even and fair to not advantage one player over another just because of conveniences. Yeah, like I actually didn't explain yet what FAB is, but I'll explain for the people listening who don't know what Brian's talking about. But yeah, that's the system we use in the Cupville. FAB stands for the free agent budget. And basically how it works is everyone has a $100 budget for the year. And then basically there's an auction every night for free agents. So it's like one time a day you get to add players from free agency and on yahoo it forces it to be at 3 a.m basically is when that auction happens so throughout the day you can decide okay uh, like this injury happened ben bishop got injured i definitely want to add hudobin so you decide how much of your budget you want to put on bidding for hudobin and like other managers in the league may also decide that they want to bid on hudobin and whoever has the highest bid like you know they all get submitted secretly to yahoo and then they'll just assign the player who had the highest bid that person gets hudobin at 3 a.m so basically you just you know before you go to bed go in put in your bids for the night and then you get to wake up in the morning it's always a fun surprise to wake up and see who you got the next morning and like basically if you get the player then you lose the fab money from your budget if you didn't get the player you don't lose anything and it's yeah like brian said it's just like a fair way to you know level the playing field everyone at their leisure can before they go to bed take a look and decide if they want to make any ad drops for the day and so that's what we do so we do fab with hundred dollar budget and then we also do four ad drops per week. Well, you can do as many drops as you want, but four acquisitions per week out of free agency, but unlimited for the season. Brian, you've always been a fan of like, having fewer ad drops and even having a season limit. And at one point in the couple, we did have a season limit. I think it was like 30 for the season in the first couple no, of years. But, I don't think but it was ever 30. Maybe it was 40 it then. Six. I think I, I wanted 40 and I, I know. got it to 60. <laughs> So why don't you explain, like, what's the reason why... Because I personally, I hate having a season limit. It really stresses me out. I feel like all season, I'm, like, thinking of my numbers, like, can I afford to do another one? And then, like, I'm regretting it, and I just feel... It's, like, it's, like, stress all year. But obviously, there's... Uh, and by the way, a lot of people who were playing the couple also hated having the season limit. But there's good reasons to have it. And so why don't you share why? I guess it's just to reduce the number of moves that are made, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I For me, it goes back to the, my how I want to have no bench, and by no bench, I mean every player active. I want things that minimize uh, fantasy schedule manager, as as John in the chat called it tonight, where you really are just competing to see who can game the schedule the best. I think the more ad drops you have, the more opportunity you have to just com- constantly cycle out and take flyers on guys who happen to be playing on off nights, when I would rather everybody just goes with the the highest quality team uh, and that's the one that's going to win more often than the highest quantity team so that's why i prefer not having a lot of ad drops through the season though i do like the of course you should be able to switch out players of course especially if you have a player injured you need to be able to replace them it would suck if you were 
out of moves when you needed them to take care of those sorts of things. So for that reason, I'm into it. But I also like I wouldn't I wouldn't complain if we dropped our four ad drops per week down to three or even two. Wow. Okay. Well, I would prefer that than a season limit for sure. Because I would hate to just be like, you know, my, oh, my season's over. By the way, with the free agent budget, I should mention that everyone has a hundred dollar budget. And yeah, you could blow your fab as some people call it. But even with zero dollars, you still get to bid because you could bid zero dollars on a free agent. So you could still like make ad drops. It's just if someone else bids on someone for more than zero dollars, then they'll get it ahead of you, but you can still make your moves. And by the way, with fab, how it works is you can like sort of set a list to Yahoo. So it's like, I want this guy. And if I don't get this guy, then I want this guy. And you just give them this whole priority list and they'll just try one by one until you actually win one of those. So, you know, you, you can customize it. Uh, Sham said a really funny thing in the chat. He was saying, like, uh, if you have a season limit, it's like when you're playing a video game and you hoard things until the end because you don't want to use them because you're scared of wasting them. I feel like when I played Zelda Breath of the Wild, I like when anytime I'd get a great weapon, basically it's like, wow. This is like a, a sword that shoots lightning bolts. That's amazing. I'm never going to use this because in that game, like the weapons, like every time you use them, they get damaged and then eventually they disappear. So I basically, all the coolest weapons were the ones I never used and I always used the crappy ones. And I feel like, yeah, with, with ad, it would, it would feel like that. Like, oh, I have all these moves, but I don't want to use them. And yeah, very stressful. But Brian gives a good reason why you do want to have a limit, which is to make it more about just like, picking your team and not so much about just streaming and and yeah and also i guess it has to do with like how much time people have like some people don't have time to like make moves every single day some people just want to you know have like make a move once a week or twice a week and so i guess you have to decide for your league like what type of commitment the people who are playing want to make and definitely if people don't want to make a huge commitment then you want to have fewer moves right Exactly. So if you're allowing four moves per week, then you're allowing those people have the time to really strategize uh, that little advantage because they might be able to squeeze out another two, three, four games played thanks to all those moves that they make. Uh, And the person who doesn't have the time but has the four moves just isn't able to use them. So I think I'm more that guy, Elon, and you're the one with the time. And that's why we have this sort of disagreement Mm -hmm. about how many moves you should be allowed to use. Yeah, well, to be honest, I wouldn't mind having three moves per week instead of four in Cacupful. By the way, we do four in Cacupful. I think I mentioned that. But I feel like the big reason why I feel like we need to have four or I like to have four is because of injuries. And like, I wish, this is my one wish for fantasy platforms. Like one day, Brian, I'm going to build a fantasy platform if like no one does this. Because I think how it should be is you should be able to choose the number of ad drops you want to allow per week of just like dropping a healthy player. But I think you should get unlimited injury replacements. Because the worst thing, if there was only three moves per week, let's say, okay, I have a whole plan. I'm going to like drop this guy. I'm going to grab this free agent on Monday. I already used my moves from last week. So I have one guy I really want. And if he's still available, I'm going to grab him on Monday. That's one. Then like, I'm going to grab a guy on Thursday and then I'm going to save one move for Sunday but then all of a sudden let's say on like Wednesday one of your players gets injured and now you like you just have to replace this person just to, like fill that roster spot that's that uses up a move next thing you know your whole plan goes out the window because of these injuries so I would love a system where we can set the number of ad drops per week but you get unlimited injury replacements if you if you put a player in your IR and you're replacing that guy that shouldn't count I would love that so much but alas it doesn't exist anywhere so what can you do uh okay Brian, next, let's talk about a new rule for the Cacuffle this season related to the free agent budget. This is exciting. Yeah, so we've had this request for a little while now from Cacuffle managers who are always pointing to NHL GMs who are trading salary and saying, hey, how can we do that? How can we also trade salary? So teams have a fab budget. And this year in the Cacuffle, you can use that budget 
as a trade chip. So let's say there's a trade you're trying to make and the other manager is just like, you know, you're asking me to give up a little too much. And they say, hey, how about I'll sweeten the pot for you? I'll give you $10 of my fab budget. It'll go straight to you. It'll give you more power, more buying power in the free agent marketplace and the daily bids. And maybe that'll help even things out. Oh, okay, that's great. Deal done. That's what we're hoping is going to happen now that you can trade fab. That's going to help clear out some log jams where, you know, you're so close in a deal, but adding any, adding or subtracting a player from any side just tilts it too much one way or you end up like trying to do this crazy five for five deal because you keep adding players on each side to try and strike exactly those. the right balance. I, I get trapped in that cycle too often. So maybe I will try harder uh, to, to avoid that by using this fab trading system where you can trade fab along with players to help try and make a deal happen. Yeah, so this is this is huge, right? Like Yahoo doesn't even offer this feature to include some of your fab budget in your trades. This is a free service we'll be providing as the commissioners of the cupful that once your trade goes through, I'm going to log into your league and manually modify people's budgets to account for the fact that this trade was made. And obviously, it's just like when you announce a trade, you'll just have to make sure your league, everyone's aware that like what fab changed hands if that was included as part of the trade. So yeah, huge thing. Uh, I think this also really, it's like a way to reward people. If someone was very stingy throughout the year and didn't get the benefits of adding all these free agents, now they're left with like $60 fab and we're approaching the trade deadline. And there's someone else who, let's say, blew all their fab. And, you know, this is a way that they can do business, right? Like you reward someone for instead of just like use it or lose it. Now it's like you could use it or you could trade it. So you don't like you're not like out of luck just because you didn't use all of your fab. You can go and get some value out of it. Uh, One caveat we are putting in, at least for this season, we want to see how it goes. We want to dive in too crazy. We're saying that the maximum number of fab a manager can have is that hundred. That is the starting amount. So on the first day of the season after the draft, you're not going to be able to just like, okay, uh, I'll trade you Evander Kane for 50 of my fab dollars. Like we're not going to allow that because someone can never go over that hundred. So the way we're thinking with that is like i don't that's not what it's for right the budget is not for like getting a superstar player it's like brian said like maybe to sweeten a deal or to reward people close to the trade deadline that maybe have a little more have a little less uh so yeah it's gonna be the kind of thing where obviously there's not gonna be a lot of fab deals at the start because everyone's already gonna have their hundred dollar budget but as the season winds down and towards the trade deadline then it'll make more sense to make these moves so yeah that is the rule for this year and i think it's going to be really cool and speaking of trading Let's talk about trading, Brian. I know we're like two hours into this podcast, but uh, let's just get amped up here because we've got just a couple more things to go. And trading is a huge part of fantasy. And to me, I think it might be the trickiest part of running a league because I feel like leagues could be destroyed. Like one imbalanced trade, you know, then everyone's like fighting. And like that trade wasn't fair. That just ruined the whole league. And then the commissioner, sometimes you have these leagues where the commissioner made the unfair trade. Then you're like, of course they're going to let this go through. And then, you know, it really sows distrust. And like, like I said, it could kind of ruin a league. So I think you really got to nail how you're going to handle trades. And so like what most leagues do is they have this like veto vote, right? Like a trade happens and then Yahoo will like send everyone an email being like, if you want, you can vote on the trade and you could say if you veto it or not. And if like 50% of the league vetoes the trade, then it just doesn't happen. And I think that is a very silly way to do it because the people voting on whether to veto the trade are clearly biased, right? Like I, as a manager, don't want my opponent to make a trade that benefits their team. Like if one of the stronger teams gets a better deal against a weak team that I didn't care about anyways, all of a sudden that's going to make my life harder. So obviously I'm going to veto, even if it actually is kind of a fair enough trade. So 
Uh, one thing that I would recommend to people is if you can try to find someone unbiased to judge these trades. You know, like uh, find, ask a friend. You could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson to tell us if we think, if you want to ask us if we think the trade was fair or not. And in the cupful, what we do is we send it to tier one. If if someone can, so any t- any trade that happens, anyone has the option to message myself or Brian, like message a commish and say, I hey, I don't think this trade is fair. And we'll be like, okay. We're going to take it to the tier one jury. We're going to put it in the group chat for tier one. Be like, hey, what do you what do you all think of this trade? And then they'll decide because they don't have a vested interest one way or the other. So I think that really saves a lot just because, first of all, I, I like that it's not just Brian and I deciding because we don't want people to be mad at us. It's better to have a big group. So it's not just like up to our decision. And also, I just really think you got to take the bias out of deciding if a trade was fair or not. Yeah, for sure. I, like you said, it's too often the commish who is ripping off someone else in the league and then, you know, is able to sway. Like, it becomes this game of allies where who has more friends in the league to to get their way. Uh, And also, one bad trade can ruin things for everybody. So you want to do everything you can and having that objective party to help decide what's going to happen next is something that's absolutely essential to a healthy fantasy league. And by the way, as an aside, this is something that you should be talking about before your season starts in your fantasy league. It's something that like every season we hear from so many people who are in these mid-season quandaries just because there was no clear procedure for the trade vetoes or or it was just never fair in the first place. But now it's like, oh, but it's happening to me now and I want to fix it. You've got to get on board with that right, right from the start. Get out in front of it. Have an open conversation with your league and say, okay, If a bad trade happens, how are we going to do it? Is it just going to be two-thirds veto? Because we're all invested in this. Like, I just don't want my my competition to get better. So I'm going to veto a trade that lets somebody ahead of me improve their team. Uh, And some people might say, well, that's part of the game. It shouldn't be. Get that objective third party in there making the call for whether a trade can go through. Because a bad trade can ruin an entire league, an entire season of careful roster management. So do everything you can to avoid that by having that conversation at the outset. Also, beyond us having uh, Tier 1 help weigh in on whether a trade should or shouldn't go through, uh, we have another feature in place to help make sure that these big ripoff deals don't happen in the cuckupful. Elon, what is it? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. By the way, I before I tell you that, which is very exciting, and we, this is a rule that we introduced last year, and I really liked it. If uh, you don't have this unbiased group of people to ask to weigh in on a trade, may I humbly recommend become a patron of Keeping Carlson, which I'm hoping you're going to decide to do so you could join the Cupful. I don't know if you mentioned, Brian, the Cupful is open for anyone. All you have to do is become a patron of Keeping Carlson at keepingcarlson.com slash patron for $5 a month. And we're giving you like access to our entire community, every perk we can think of. And a big part is just access to our community, like our Discord community and our Facebook group, you know, like wherever you want to hang out. And you could just ask in there. Like you could agree with your league that, hey, I'm a patron of Keeping Carlson. So if everyone doesn't agree with the deal, I'll just ask in an unbiased way what people think of the trade and you could let the patrons decide so like we have a trade review channel on discord and that's exactly what it's for and hey you're going to be becoming a patron anyway because you're going to be joining the couple so then you're also going to get this perk of getting in our community so may i recommend using us to help decide on your trades uh, but okay yes this new feature is something we introduced last year is our trade counter offer mechanic and it won our we had a podcast a couple years ago the couple rule change bracket where people suggested different rule changes and we had a panel me brian and john reed were voting on what rule 
we should enact become a new rule. And what we decided was that if there is a trade that happens between two managers, after the trade is accepted, a 24-hour clock starts. And during that 24-hour time span, both of those managers have the option to accept a counteroffer trade from someone else. And it has to be for the exact same package. So basically, if you see, let's say I'm just sitting here minding my own business. All of a sudden, I see a trade pop up. Someone traded a slumping Nikita Kucherov. He was like, he had a couple bad weeks. And someone traded Kucherov for a hot Kyler Yamamoto. And I'm sitting there like, what? That's a crazy trade. So now instead of just having to sit there and be upset about it or like message the commissioner and contest the trade, I could just reach out to the Kucherov owner and be like, hey, uh, if you're, you know, if you're accepting Kyler Yamamoto, how about let me give you... I don't know, who's someone like sort of in between those two, whatever, uh, Dylan Larkin, like, you know, and so then if that other manager decides, oh, yeah, I'd rather have Larkin than Yamamoto, then all of a sudden the trade just got a little bit less imbalanced and hopefully everyone wins. It makes the trade more even. You're happy. Obviously, the person who ripped off the Kucherov owner, that person's not happy because their trade got taken away from them. That's obviously the big complaint that we have. But I'm going to be honest. Uh, if everyone is happy except for the person who's ripping off the other manager, then uh, I think I'm okay with that overall because what I care about is the overall health of the league. And yeah, so that's why I think this was a really fun rule. It wasn't used that much last year, which is fine because I think most of our couple managers are like smart and they don't do these like imbalanced trades. So it makes sense that this rule wasn't used. Most of the time people make a trade, both people think it's fair. There's no reason to offer a counter offer. And because, you know, like I feel like there's some bad will formed if every time someone trades with me, I always accept a counter offer, then I feel like people would stop trading with me. So that's sort of a reason why this probably isn't used much. But I think it's like a nice tool to have. So if you see that Yamamoto for Kucherov trade, you have the option to at least send a counter offer and get a better deal. Yeah, and of course, you can't force a manager to accept your counter offer if you really think it's better. And that's where that trade jury in tier one still comes into play. But at least this is an opportunity for everybody to put their money where their mouth is, right? If I make a deal and it was, oh, Brian, you ripped off the person, well, then give them a better offer. And if you can't, then maybe, just maybe, this is a reasonable trade to be able to go through. So it sort of covers a lot of bases and that it, it keeps the instances of ripoff trades uh, really low, ideally. And on top of that, it keeps everybody honest about what is and isn't a reasonable deal. And if you, you can't really scream from the rooftops about this unfair trade that happened, if... Uh, you didn't offer a better package that swayed uh, the other manager to give you what you wanted, and uh, the, it gets past the the tier one trade jury. Yeah. And by the way, like one big complaint about this was like, now I'm just not going to feel motivated to trade because why would I put in the effort to make a trade just for a counter offer to be accepted? Like, I'll say to you, like, I understand that, but like nothing is stopping you and the person you're making a trade with, like make a oath to each other. Like we, neither of us are going to accept a counter offer. Okay. No matter what, like that's allowed. Like why not? So if you think that you're working out a fair deal, you can both be like, Hey, okay, we're in and we're not accepting counter offers. Good handshake. But like for this Kucherov for Yamamoto example that I gave, I mean, if the, I mean, obviously you can't stop someone from making an imbalanced trade, but like, you know, I feel like it's just, if, if the reason you don't like it is because you don't want to be able to rip people off in trades, then, you know, that's, that's a shame, but we don't want you to be able to rip people off in trades either. So, because we care about the health of the league overall. All right. So that's trading. That's what we got going on in the Cuckupful. Uh Really quickly, I'll mention that we do playoffs. Like, since it's a head-to-head league, uh, we have a 14-team league. What we decided is to have six teams make the playoffs. A lot of leagues have eight teams make the playoffs, and then the first round is right away one versus 
versus eight, two versus seven, all of that, just like what happened to Tampa versus Columbus a couple years ago when they got upset by the eighth seed. We actually like going with six teams making the playoffs, specifically because it gives a bye to the first couple of teams, like the top two teams in the division. And it's like, a, it's a reward, right? You come in the top two, you get this huge reward of being able to take a week off. You're guaranteed into the quarterfinals and you get this extra week to make smart ad drops while everyone else is scrambling to win their matchup. You can just focus on like setting up your team for your quarterfinal matchup. So that's why we like having six teams make the playoffs instead of eight. And uh, I think generally it's worked out pretty well. I just don't like the idea that like one bad week after coming first in the division, like messes you up and you didn't even make it to the i should say the semifinals not the quarterfinals right you make it to the final four it because of your bye yeah so there's that aspect and it also uh, like the one bad week aspect really stinks and if we could change anything about yahoo that might be it that we could have a two-week playoff that gives you a better sample to work with to describe the actual quality and competence of each team and manager but you don't you just have that one week and things can really really uh, shift and fluctuate over a given week in fantasy hockey. So uh, giving the top two seeds that opportunity to skip past the first round helps with that. And also, if the top six teams are in there and the six seed wins around, that's not so bad. If you're getting to the eight seed winning around, then it's like, ah, but they were in the bottom half of the league. Should they have ever had that opportunity? Uh, I want as many teams to be in the playoffs as possible, but you also want to try and make sure, especially when randomness does play a factor in a one-week matchup, you want to make sure that a team that really earned it all season long give weight to those regular season performances also we do have the consolation bracket going too so teams that aren't in the top six are still fighting for what elon talked about at the top of the show which is that you really just want to focus on finishing as high in your division as possible because even if you don't make the playoffs in your tier or division it still is going to have an impact on your promotion and relegation status in some tiers Yeah, so think of it like everyone makes the playoffs, except for actually 13th and 14th place. They just land in 13th and 14th, and your season's done. But as long as you're in the top 12, you're going to be in a playoffs. It's just whether you're playing for 7th place or if you're playing for 1st place. There is the option of playing in, like, if you're on Fantrax or a more customizable platform, then you'd be able to have these, like, two-week playoff matchups. Uh, There's pros and cons there, right? Like, the, the pro is bigger sample size. The con is the regular season becomes shorter because you have to have so many weeks allocated to the playoffs to have these two-week playoff matchups. So I don't know. It's like, it kind of sucks to have one week playoff matchups, but it also, it's kind of fun because it just makes it exciting. And that's fantasy. And that's, if you really don't think it's fair, maybe you should be doing a season long league. Like we decided at the top, like that with head to head, you're going to have some luck involved. And yeah, two weeks would be better, but I just think you just have to decide for you. And I don't, I don't really have much more to say about that. And if you don't either, Brian, then we can move on to the next thing. We can move on to the next thing. Which is actually, I think we're basically done. Like, okay, the big things we haven't covered, because these are not aspects of the Keeping Carlson Also Patriot Fantasy League, but maybe an aspect of your league are, like, keepers. And when I say keepers, I mean both, like, from basic, like, keep four, and every year, like, every team gets to keep four players, and then they draft the rest. Uh, and then you could go a lot deeper. You could have keep everyone. You could have, like, a dynasty league, where basically every draft is just the new people coming into the league. You could have salary caps. You could have a minors system, where you're promoting people from your minors. So you could get some really crazy leagues. And actually, these last couple of guests we've had in William Nadeau, uh, who was great, by the way, and Victor Nuno, who was also great. Uh, you know, and also Alex McLean, a previous guest of the show, who writes about cap leagues over on Dabber Hockey. So, like, 
you should like talk to these people. <laughs> like if you're in our patron community and you have questions about how to design your like salary cap league and like what should the cap be and like how many minor s- system slots should you have, then like definitely talk to them. Just in general though, a keeper, like if you just want to do like a basic keeper league, which is kind of fun, right? Just to like let people, if you have McDavid, you get to like hold on to McDavid. Brian, like how many keepers do you think is best? If you like sort of, you have a group of eight friends, you want to keep your league going for a while. You don't want to be crazy. You don't want to get into like dynasty league, salary caps, any of that, but you just want to add some keepers. What do you think is a good number of keepers for your league? I like four to six as being a good starting range where, uh, you know, you have enough continuity on your team year to year, but if your keepers aren't great, it's not so hard to replace that full slate of four or six over the course of two or three seasons, which I assume everybody who's joined your keeper league is buying in for two or three seasons. So that's why I like keeping that number low. And as an aside in our discord server recently, we were actually having this discussion about a strategy for a keep four and, and how young do you make your keeper options in a keep four? And I was like, oh, don't even worry about age in a keep four. You just want the four best players every year because there's enough churn uh, through through the years that you're going to be able to find someone in their prime to fill one of those top four keeper spots. But that's aside from the question you asked me, Elon. I'm saying in a casual setup, keep four uh, is good. Keep six, probably max, if you want to keep it casual. If you really want to make it a little more competitive and a little more serious, that's when you start going to keep eight. Yeah, that makes sense. And then even beyond just deciding how many keepers, you do have some customization still on different platforms. Like one popular thing that I've been seeing lately is that you keep the player at the draft spot where they were drafted. So basically, if I picked, let me say Dylan Larkin again, let's say if I picked Dylan Larkin in the seventh round last year, then if I keep him, then basically I just like don't get my seventh round pick this year, or maybe it goes down one every year. So now it's my sixth round pick. So then it's like, you want to give people an incentive to keep the people that they draft later because then they don't have to give up one of their early picks in order to keep them so that's one thing you can do and a lot of the patrons do that and it seems to be a lot of fun you can also do this for auction leagues by the way you can say like you keep the player at the amount that you spent on them in the auction draft and so then you'll go into your auction draft and you subtract the amounts for your keepers that you decided to keep so yeah there's lots of different ways to do it and uh yeah i it's i think mostly preference but yeah like brian said i would keep it to fewer keepers if you want to make it a more casual league but you still want to be able to reward the person who was you know they got igor shistjork and now they're super stoked about him it'd be a bummer to have to let him go so quickly so you have the option to keep him and with that, I think we've covered like every single rule in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League and the thought process for the decisions along the way. Uh, I hope that through this episode, we've been able to convince you that you want to play in our league uh, because we're, as you can see, we're working really hard to try to like make it as good an experience as possible. We're very, you know, focused and motivated commissioners trying to just keep it fun all year long and it's no better time than this season to start at the bottom tier and climb your way to the top or if you've played before please come back uh you know you you still have to register by the way even if you played before because we have no way to know if you're in so if you are a patron of keeping carlson and you can become one at keepingcarlson.com slash patron then you'll have a link on our patreon to the registration form we've also posted the link on our facebook group and our discord so hopefully you haven't missed it so go sign up and the plan is i guess we don't actually know when the season is starting we're assuming it's going to be january 1st because that's the rumor right now so the plan is by like maybe the first week of december that's going to be the cutoff where 
you're going to have to have signed up by then and also have converted to becoming a $5 patron if you've been like taking advantage of our $1 off-season promotion. So we're going to switch back once the season is starting to like you have to be a $5 patron in order to have access to all of our perks, including access into the cupful. So yeah, that'll be around, let's say, the first week of December. Then we'll start sending out all of the invites to your fan track slow drafts, and we're going to get this baby started. So once again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We've also linked to the league rules in the show notes so you can go and uh, you know take another look peruse at your leisure and of course you could tweet us any questions you have at keeping carlson on twitter okay brian with that i guess we have one more fun thing we wanted to bring up before we round out this show so outside of the couple it's it's like the end of one of the apple big reveals oh and one more thing <laughs> yeah exactly like this has already been a crazy long episode but we were busy here at keeping carlson headquarters we are trying our best to make it fun to be a patron of our show and yeah one fun thing we've been doing recently is we start i mentioned it last week our patron projection project where every day we're asking patrons to help us come up with projections for players for next year and by the end we're gonna have this full data set it's gonna be a blast and uh we've had a few days of results already come in i think we're on day five tomorrow monday and brian we've come up with a decision to try to incentivize people to be submitting their projections if they haven't yet you want to say the new cool idea we had yeah sure well it's not just an idea it's happening so for every entry you make to our patron projection project which is really hard to say once let alone if i were to try four or five times but for every submission you make every time you project the daily set of 10 players you get an entry into a draw for some awesome Keeping Carlson merch. We'll send you something real nice and good. Yeah, uh, not, if- not like a t-shirt. It's going to be like at least at hoodie level or, or jersey, like something awesome. We'll, we'll come up with something good, trust me. Okay, so trust Elon. He has bigger idea. Like, that's great. I, I'm in for whatever Elon decides, because uh, you deserve it. So thanks. Like, And we know, uh, like, some people are like, you know, like, I, I'm putting in some real time to this. That's great. Some people are like, oh, I, I, I just don't have the time. To, don't worry too much about the time. Like, there's, there is a gut aspect to our projection project, too. So just do what you can, is what we ask. But we have this group of patrons who so far have responded. We're on uh, day four at the time of this recording, and we have a group of patrons who have submitted their rankings for all 40 players that we've asked to be projected so far. So shout out to Marcus, Patrick, Adam Colton, Matt G, Jeremy Garrett, Aaron Vigard, Stephen, Matthew J, and Mason for yeah. for going four for four so far. Keep it up. Yeah. Also, t who I don't know what your name is, even though you might have told me before, but uh, thanks also, t So yeah, uh, this has been fun, and I'm really excited. We also have a really cool spreadsheet, which I think, Brian, you tweeted out, or at least an image of, of like what the results have been so far. So it's really fun to see as we go how the projections are looking. And some, it's really fun. Kylo Yamamoto is someone who so far has really had a big variance, because as part of what the data we've been sharing, we have like, oh, by the way, we big shout out to Marcus, who helped design this spreadsheet where we share the results. I believe we actually have it available. Keeping Carlson slash ppp is where you can find all of the results which we're updating every day and yeah you've got like for each player like the max the min the median the average for like goals assists it's a pretty amazing spreadsheet so check it out keeping carlson.com slash ppp and if you are a patron then check the discord group or the facebook group every day we're linking to the next form to fill out and if you're not a patron Come on in, all right? Hopefully we've given you enough reason this episode. So once again, keep it carlson.com slash patron. But okay, Brian, with that, I think we've covered everything we want to cover. Like, I I won't even get into a rant about why we want a five-star review or, like, a follow on Twitter or any of that. I'm just going to cue the outro music. 
And then why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Okay, I will. Very clever, Elon, by saying you're not going to do the thing that you got away with doing anyway. Uh, thank you all for listening. Keeping Carlson is presented by Dobber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb and outro music by Pat Roach. And Elon, that's uh, that's it for the credits this week because we didn't talk player stats. We talked league design. Thanks to Fantrax and Yahoo for being such fantastic platforms. ESPN, you're okay. <laughs> not ideal. And like CBS Sports and Flea Flicker, forget you. You're not contributing anything to this conversation. Uh, th- is there anything else more, Elon, to credit? Oh, uh, thanks to Johnny Fantasy. We'll link uh, that article in the show notes that helped inspire the couple point system. And I think that is all. Yeah, I guess like a lot of the patrons have suggested a lot of these rule settings over the years. So thanks to the patrons. Thanks to John, who uh, suggested the idea of the fast track. Thanks to Max and Dave, who came on the show at the start to help announce that registration was started. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that little skit that we did. Uh, okay, but yeah, Brian, I think at this point you could go ahead, say your catchphrase, and we could all go home. All right, until next time, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>